Okay, good morning, class. Welcome to Art Eater Podcast number 15. So this is a part part five, <laughs> part five of our very deep dive on the Guilty Gear series. Um, kind of unbelievable that we, we kicked this off thinking we could cover the whole series during the very first one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so if you're just tuning in, you got about like 10, uh, 10 hours of other podcasts to catch up on. But yeah. It's, It'll be worth it's, it, it's good news. It's it's all good fun. Uh, just to give you a quick recap, um, so so part one we did on the original Guilty Gear for the PS1, and then we followed that up with another podcast strictly about Guilty Gear X, um, and then after that we looked at Guilty Gear XX, which is I think where the series really found its footing gameplay wise. And then uh, part four, we looked at all the spin-offs of X and then also covered Guilty Gear 2, which very few people know about, actually. It's a, the official sequel to Guilty Gear. It was an action game, not a fighting game. Um, and then today, we're finally going to get into Guilty Gear Xrd, uh, the series' first foray into, well, into modern times and also into uh, 3D uh, cell shading. Um, yeah, so uh, part five. We will talk about Exerd, uh, Re Revelator, and maybe get to Rev2 as well. Now, uh, before we get too far into Exerd, um, uh, oh yeah, first, uh, let me introduce everyone. I'm your host, Richmond. Uh, Sean is my co-host. Uh, uh, Sean's always here. Um, and then we have two special guests. Uh, we have uh, James Stanley. Yep, always a pleasure. And uh, Thomas, he's also a, a Guilty Gear expert. Yeah, <laughs> oh, such things exist. <laughs> yes, they do. Um, so yeah, I, I'd like to um, start off today. Uh, Thomas, could you give us a quick recap of um, just the road leading to Guilty Gear Exerd? Because there is a huge gap in between um, the uh, Guilty Gear X uh, series and then the and then Exerd. There, there is a long period of time where Arc System Works did not produce any Guilty Gear games. So, um, you know, we went into that a bit in uh, part four of our podcast, but I, I think it'd just be a good recap, good intro into uh, Exerd. Yeah, for sure. So uh, uh, the year is 2007, and <laughs> uh, the last version of uh, Guilty Gear XX uh, comes out. It's uh, called Axon Core, and the first thing we notice is that it's uh, self-published by Arc System Works. Arc System Works, uh, until then, was published by Sami. Uh, you probably heard of it because uh, Sami had an arcade system called uh, uh, Atomis Wave, and was uh, is also the company uh, that Sega merged with. You know the Sega Sami holding things like that. So uh, I think it happened that um, uh, Sami didn't want to do any more. Anymore, Guilty Gear basically didn't want to publish it, but Arc System Works wanted to do it because Guilty Gear Slash, uh, the previous entry, had a poor reception. So they self published it, and that was it. And the thing is that since Guilty Gear X in the 2000, um, everything they created for uh, the game was basically co owned by Sami. So it meant that to make new Guilty Gear, they, had, they needed the authorization of Sami. And so it was very complicated. And they also had to, uh, Ishiwatari had uh, other ideas. He wanted to make other type of games and other games. Uh, his uh, last, uh, like, 
really big work on this on the XX series was was with Reload in uh, 2004. So you see that there's there's a, Ishiwatari is starting to go elsewhere. The series, the XX series, was continuing on its own road, and uh, Sami just said, "Okay, stop." So they couldn't do any more Guilty Gear. They could do a new Guilty Gear. That's the reason they did Guilty Gear 2, which is an action game. But they could not continue on XX because the fighting game was co-owned by Sami. So they created Blaze Blue with, uh, with uh, Toshimishi Mori uh, leading the project and Ishiwatari doing the music. And after that, they started to work to recover the Guilty Gear, um, the Guilty Gear rights, and they managed to do it. I think it was in 2012. And uh, to make people wait for the new Guilty Gear, they released an updated version of Guilty Gear Accent Core. So it was named Guilty Gear XX Accent Core Plus Air. <clears throat> And it came out on a new arcade board, the the um, you know the um, oh, the Sega arcade board with um, digital uh, digital games you like can download. The Lindenberg yeah. or something? Yeah, or was that? I think yeah, that, that's something uh, like that. Yeah, the equivalent of the Taito Typex uh, yeah. of the uh, Taito Typex things. So they released it, and I think it was a year later or two years later. They released the first trailer of Guilty Gear Xrd, and uh, they took the world by storm with this uh, with this trailer, because it was nothing that people were expecting. Because at this time, oh, Arc, Arc System Works was doing game was very interesting, but it was still 2D. The the, the backgrounds were 3D, but the the consoles had a lot of limitation, the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360, so they could not. You know, go full 2D and load the, load the, the big stages and big sprites in RAM and all. They, they only had enough for characters. And the way they did the, the characters was basically they did a 3D model. They put it the, the, the K poses on the 3D model. After that, they were doing a, a capture. The capture was then drawn with pixels and things like that. And after that, every uh, in-between frames were made, I think, in Korea. So they were outsourcing a lot of things. Like I, I think, uh, Richmond, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's mm -hmm. kind of standard in Japan to, to outsource some cape in between work uh, of animation in other countries. Oh, yeah, um, that's standard for the entire world. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Korea has been doing uh, uh, in between animation and more and more just like full production animation uh, for. Uh, other countries for for America, for Japan, for China, for uh, uh, France, uh, it's been going on for decades. Yeah. Okay. So Arc System Work was working like that with uh, their game, the, the, the sprites of their games. Mm -hmm. And what is interesting is that if you look at the first characters in Blazulu, like Ragnar or Tiger, or all, they are very stiff. You know, they are like a three D basic model and. With years passing and new characters coming, they are more and more refined. They have better K poses, and that's important because that's something we are going to see again in Xrd later. So that's where that's how they were working. That's the state of the company around 2012, 2013. Blazblue is a huge success in arcade. They use 3D only for K poses and making models. They outsource the rest. They also they are already doing uh, 3D backgrounds. And as we said in the previous episode, they did a full 2.5D 
uh, 3D fighting game that played like a 2D fighting game with Battle Fantasia. So basically, they were ready to make a new Guilty Gear. They had somehow the text, somehow the, the knowledge about how to do it. I think I, that's I wanted, a recap. I wanted to add, we're, we're definitely going to talk uh, a lot about it. But for anyone that really wants to get into the, the, the super nitty gritty details, uh, Monomura, the technical director at mm. Arts and Works, did a GDC talk in 2015 where they talk at length about how they did the switch from 2D to 3D. Um, uh, we'll put the link on Twitter and everything like that. But I just wanted to call out that if anyone's interested in like the insane engine level technical things that they did to achieve what we're going to talk about, um, that will that was definitely a worthwhile GDC talk to go find online. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it uh, it made a big noise when it was published. When the I remember when the, the the first trailer came, people were asking like in forums, in 3D forums, like how did they achieve this? And yeah. uh, and maybe we can talk about this first trailer because yeah. they really yeah. they really 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 made it to have people talk about the game and yes. the 3D pro prowess. Yes. Let's uh, let's let's talk about our first impressions. Um, you know, uh, uh, James, how did you feel when you first saw the announcement trailer for Exerd? Oh, can you oh, set, set the table for I... us? Because we're I all remember... huge fans of 2D games. <laughs> I remember <laughs> when it was announced, and I remember seeing a trailer, and I saw it was like the moment that I saw the sprites, or what I thought were sprites. Uh, I was like, wow, these look dope. And then the camera moved, and it kept moving, and I was like, wait a minute, these are <laughs> 3D models? And I lost my mind. Like, the, the whole day was canceled. Like, it was just like, the, all I could think about was, how is this possible? Why haven't other games done this? I'm going to play this game for the rest of my life. Like, it was, because for me, I remember... You know, one of the, the, the frustrations I had was, you know, a lot of, like, at least with Street Fighter, their translation into 3D just was different. Um, and I felt like there was there were other opportunities there. And, you know, they went the way that they went, and that's fine. And I was like, man, just thinking, like, man, if they could have incorporated the volumetric aspect of Ikeno and Bengus, you know, like, in mm. 3D, like, how would that have worked, right? And, you know, like, like a 3D third strike, so to speak. Like, that's what I was hoping for. So then when I see Exert, it was just like, oh my god, like, this looks like, it's like I'm in an anime, you know, <laughs> and it was just, I couldn't, I really couldn't grasp uh, the fact that this was actually something possible and that it was a, a playable, tangible thing, you know, it, like, the closest I saw to this was uh, Ultra Super Pictures, there was like a demo reel that they put out like years ago, when they were doing cel-shaded 3D animation, and, you know, this was, like, years ago. This was, like, before Street Fighter 4 came out. And I was just thinking, man, what if fighting games could take on this? So when I saw Exert, it immediately reminded me of what Ultra Super Pictures was doing years ago on the low. And it's just that Arxis found a way to make their own math and do it themselves. Mm. So when that trailer came out, uh, it gave me a lot of hope for uh, seeing a game, at least seeing fighting games actually have uh, the nuance of 2D animation, but still, you know, utilizing 3D. So it was a big deal for me. I remember I linked that trailer to everybody. Like, I put it on Facebook, I put it on Twitter, I put it everywhere. I was like, everybody needs to know about this. 
everybody needs to buy this game. Like, and this was just a trailer. Like, there was no release date or anything. It was just, I don't care what you have to do, buy this game. Um, <laughs> funny enough, uh, I bought Exerd, uh Revelator or Sign on PS3. And the day that I bought it, well, before that, there was a street date issue because I live in New York. Uh, street dates, they don't exist here. Um, <laughs> people just do whatever they want. And, and sometimes, you know, you have to kind of have that conversation where you're like, well, I know you guys have it, you know, and then they're like, okay. So I ended up getting the game like, like a day early, maybe. And ironically enough, my PS3 had enough power to show me the intro and it yellow ringed on me. <laughs> right when the intro was over it was like my ps3 was smart enough to understand that i'm going to die but i need to show you this intro i need to show you what's possible and <laughs> it died like right after the intro so i had to get another ps3 um which wasn't difficult to do at the time because ps3s were relatively cheap um so you know i went and got uh, a ps3 and, you know, I played that game until the wheels fell off. Like, even when my friend stopped playing it, like, I was just running and rushing people down so all day. I just, that game to me was like, someone said, oh, you thought Hulk Tono Ken was the best that we could do? Hold, hold on, <laughs> just hold my beer. Because uh, it was just a beautiful, like, visual spectacle. And, you know, I mean, some people had problems with some of the gameplay, but... I actually yeah. liked the way the game turned out. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm one of the weird ones where I was just like, nah, this is fine. Like, like to me, it was like it's being translated into 3D. Um, and this is, this is fine. Like, I, just, I was just like, I'm in a 3D anime. This is fine. I don't care. Like, that, that, was, that was kind of my, my, uh, my mindset on it. And I was willing to adapt to the changes that were there. Yeah. Sean, do you, do you remember first laying eyes on uh, on this game? Uh, yeah, this is uh, 2013. Uh, I do remember the, if I recall, the original trailer was just uh, Soul and Kai fighting uh, yeah. with like other cuts. And I definitely had the same kind of reaction that James did. I was like, wow, they really like, this looks freaking like an anime. They've, they've done it. They finally, like, you know, like uh, up until this point, most, and, and still to this day, most like yeah, I think anime-based games have always been getting like a little bit better, but you could always see the edges, right? Like you could always see the 3D didn't quite work, or so even with Dragon Ball, like, it looked really good, but you're always like, oh, this isn't quite. This is gonna be like a really weird uh, side tangent, but actually, one of the first games that I saw uh, from an animated base wasn't an anime that looked good. It was like the Family Guy game, and I was like, oh, it just looks like a Family Guy episode, <laughs> and this is much more complicated. And this is the first one I'd seen in an anime where I could not see the the scenes i couldn't figure it out i was like wow um and then to james point i had the same reaction of like well they just did anime sprites they had to have just hand drawn these and then they do the thing where kai and Saul hit each other and it rotates in real time and you're just like what how how in the world did they achieve this so like uh i also noticed how uh how beefy soul got again i was like oh yeah, yeah. he's uh <laughs> he's uh, he's been lifting some weights yeah uh, but, yeah no yeah <laughs> 
And uh, there's something about they also did a lot, like a lot of the stuff on uh, Kai, especially, is a lot more animated. Like he has like a uh, sort of a, a kind of a ponytail in this one, and he has a lot more uh, like flowing robe. Like his robe is really animate. You really feel it. Like everything moves. Like there's so much going on. And you you come to find out later that it's because they have like 400 bones in the actual 3D models that they can freaking animate everything like that. But um, at the time, I was just like, wow, like I can't. No wonder it took them so long. They had to hand animate all of this stuff. There is no way that they didn't do it that way. But um, anyway, yeah, that was about where my was. I um, didn't actually play it. I, I watched videos of it coming out. Um, I didn't actually start playing it until um, about halfway through Rev 1. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's just um, one of the ones where I was kind of waiting to see what they would do with it, if that makes sense. Uh, like I, I was like, wow, I, I really want to see how, how good they get at this. I know it also added the kind of the new lobby system at the time. So, uh, I'm trying to remember what I was doing 2013. I think I was just moving to San Francisco. Um, so I was, uh, I was unfortunately or fortunately pretty knee deep in like working on Facebook games at the time. So <laughs> pretty different context, uh, yeah. for where I was yeah. in the industry. Uh, I guess this was, if I recall, this is about when like, um, Zynga with uh, Richmond knows, but Zynga was kind of at the height of its power uh, and oh, starting yeah. to come down a little bit. So um, I don't know. This is just a very interesting context for this to come out in uh, as as people that are working in the game industry. And I was working with a lot of people that had moved from other game studios as well. And uh, this was just kind of a, a type of game that you, a, a type of art style that we didn't see anymore. Like you were either doing realistic 3D games or you were doing Facebook slash mobile games. Like there was not a really a in between at the time. So uh, yeah, that game was just a blast of uh, fresh air at the time. Uh, Thomas, any thoughts on on the? I know you got a lot to say about the gameplay. Um, I think we'll we'll talk about the art for a little bit though before we get into that. Any, mm, any I, thoughts? So, well, like everyone, I was amazed by the, the 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 technical skills they showed in this trailer. And what's funny is that when you when you go to when you search for a GIF, an animated uh, image, I don't know if mm -hmm. I how to say GIF in, in English, so yeah, well. And you're like you type Guilty Gear XL, that's always the, 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 the spin of the camera is always coming back. Like it's a defining uh, image now of uh, Guilty Gear XL. And that's amazing. Like like Sean said, it's not, not any other gamer was doing this at the time, and not many games are doing this right now in 2020. Yeah. So the fact that they announced the game, I think it was in May 2013, and that it's still unmatched today, except for other Arc System Works productions, says a lot. Says very, a lot. But the the thing I didn't like was the art direction, and immediately I was. I was like pushed back by the, by the game, and mostly because of soul uh, <laughs> steroids uh, muscles. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, this is super cool, but this is super ugly at the same time." That's how I felt about the game, and that's basically how I, uh, you know, um, went with almost all the game of the XR series after that. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, I, I I liked uh, a beefed up uh, soul myself. You know, <laughs> being a big uh, Capcom fan, so I, I liked the <laughs> huge protein soul. Yeah, yeah, the game I definitely know. had like a chunkier feel to it. 
Yeah, yeah, but that's that's common actually. When you look back, and even not look back that far, but look at Street, Street Fighter Four, uh, Guilty Gear Excel, or Samurai Shadown 3D, the last one from 2019 with by SNK, you'll notice that they all have the same thing. They have like very bulky 3D models and characters, and uh, they all are, the, the characters, you know, they they they, they look short, short. Uh, not in their position, fighting game position, or you know they they will they they sometimes reuse the the 3D models for story mode or things like that. And when you mm -hmm. look at them, they are pretty ugly and very short and very large. And that's because uh, that's because of a thing that um, Ikeno uh, tried because he did the art direction for Street Fighter Four. He said he was afraid that the characters will not you know pop out enough in 3D so he had to make them like way beefier and uh, that's somehow the same thing that's happening in Ixer like everyone everyone except for female characters has incredible muscles like you <laughs> you look at at Venom legs for example his legs are incredibly incredibly muscular for example and uh, all games that translate to 3D have this kind of you know uh, uh problem if that's a problem for you but uh so i'm not surprised but uh, i don't like it yet mm. <laughs> i think for for exert um, i do think it was a stylistic thing i mean i i think there's no comparison between uh how good and successful the art direction is in exert mm. versus like street fighter 4 or 5 right like uh you know, I, I think, and you can see with the female characters, like they did not have to bulk everyone up. Um, I think Axel and 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 uh, Slayer were not that huge either. Um, I mean, they're still to to Thomas's point though. They're all muscular, <laughs> like it, like they're uh, especially with the the updates to the cell shading. You can really see like they all have like four pack abs and like you know. Oh, they got like, like eight packs. They, yeah, yeah. <laughs> their legs look like they they all run the Tour de France all the time. Like it. I mean, yeah. But yeah. but to your point, it it um to Richmond's point rather, it's definitely intentional. Like everything about the way that they designed yeah. this was was controlling what the artist could do. Like the lighting was intentional, the color was intentional. Mm -hmm. But um, it's 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 one of those things where whether or not you liked the way they executed the art direction is a different thing entirely. But uh, you can. Mm. Uh, to me, this is one of those those games that um, I actually do point to. If someone's like, "Well, what is what is the impact of art direction?" It's like, well, <laughs> you can uh, you can take the same material and look at it this way. So it's definitely a very opinionated art direction. But um, I think that they they probably executed it pretty close to the vision that they had. Especially if you look at like the um, the concept art versus what they actually executed, like it's almost indistinguishable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'd like to get into some of the, the technical aspects of uh, the art direction and their, their approach and just why it worked so well. Um, let's let's jump into that. Um, uh, I have so many opinions on this part. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so a lot of what I'm going to say is going to be based on um, the, the GDC talk on, on Guilty Gear, which we will provide the link for. Uh, it's a fascinating talk. Every Everyone yeah. should should look that up. Um, yeah, so I think uh, just to me, the most impressive thing about what they pulled off with the game is that um, it was all, like you said, Sean, it was all very opinionated art direction. And it was it was based on 
uh, technique and not technology. And what, what I mean is, um, so, you know, cell shading has been around in games for a long time since uh, Jet Set Radio back in like 2000, right? Mm. And yeah. um, most prior attempts to uh, exert, um, you could still tell they were 3D, right? Especially real-time games. Uh, uh, some games look really good, like like the Naruto games by CyberConnect2. Um, especially during the cutscenes, they looked like phenomenal. But during the gameplay, you could still it still felt pretty 3D, you know. And um, I think a lot of that is because uh, a lot of it was uh, uh, software driven, right? They they kind of mm -hmm. wrote an algorithm to calculate the uh, the shading and the outlines. And what's really impressive about the Xrd approach is that um, it's not using new technology. It's just using no. existing technology in a new way. That's why they were able to make it for PS3 and PS4. And the, the, basically, the only difference was the the resolution. Like, it, it's not like a super hardware, you know, advanced hardware like demanding style. It's just that they they used what was there like in ways that just people did well, not. Yeah, good. We'll, we'll talk about it later, I think, as we get into this. But something that you'll notice as we get through the different parts of this is that they use the current software and they actually limited themselves by adding limitations around what frames they would show, how they, mm -hmm. they balance the lighting. That yes. was actually how they achieved the look. Yeah. yeah. But, but one, one thing that is very interesting and that we, we, we can probably explain to people is that what, what we call cell shading is, uh, I think it's also called tune shading. I think, but uh -huh. it's it's basically you in your in your games for people not knowing that's that's the basics of what makes um, uh, games in general. You can't you you can't in video games in real time like use global illumination like sending millions of light rays and things like that and see how it how it works. So you just you kinda say mathematically the the light is here. And on the character, for example, you say to the character, if the light is here, then the texture, I'm really oversimplifying, but the texture, texture is this way or this way, and the light is this way or this way. So, and the, the, the fact that Arc System Works used, but kind of did not use what proper techniques that were used at the time for mm. doing games in general. They, they used the, the the same principles, but not like like you said. It's not a, te a technical thing. It's a technique thing. It's like you, it's like having a hammer, but using it differently than um, than most people. And uh, what the, the the reason why it felt and it still feels incredible today is that there's no residual, you know, uh, crappy shading or <laughs> mist mist shading. In the on the characters, and that's the yeah. most. I think that's the, yeah. the, the the most important thing. If you look at Jet Set Radio today, th there is a, a an illumination, a, a point that says the lights come from here. So you have to uh, like put the put the, sh the, the 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 shades on the characters. But you can't really, you know, since the character will be moving in 3D and turning 360 degrees and things like that, you can't master every angle every moment everything but since we are talking about a, a fighting game you just have to illuminate like put one light 
on in the front of each character and that's basically the the art style of guilty gear like every character even in the old games it's like they had a huge light spot in their face <laughs> while they were fighting and so they used this and yep. since the, the this light is not moving around the character they called uh, they, they, they were able to adjust each part of the body, each part of the 3D model to make it perfect. And that's the thing. That's a human thing more than a technical thing. That's a, a craftsmanship yes. thing. I, I was going to add, um, there's a, a phrase that I, I usually have heard in the industry around diversity and inclusion, but it actually really applies to crafting a game well. It's like, the phrase is something along the lines of like, if you don't intentionally include something, then you unintentionally exclude it. And that's kind of what 3D engines kind of got to, where like you just throw something into a lighting engine and then like you have a lot of, like to Thomas's point, you have a lot of weird things happening because like you didn't do it intentionally. It just happened to be something that was un like unintentionally a result of the systems that you put together. And what we're talking about here is that so much of this is intentionally done very carefully to the point where uh, you don't have anything unintentionally happening within the lighting engine or with the way the characters are done. And it's actually kind of counterintuitive in a lot of ways as to how a lot of modern game development is done. But uh, in terms of like whenever you're uh, teaching how to do things high quality, it's all about like making sure that everything is an intentional decision. Uh, and it's it's hard. Uh, it's a hard value to execute because it takes so much more extra work. But I feel like Exert is an example of what happens when the the studio really doubles down on making sure that they in fact do the work yep yeah i, I think that's the key word is intention yeah. um i mean their goal was to capture the appeal of uh 2d uh, games but to take advantage of uh, uh you know being in a 3d engine um but in in ways that no one had ever done before and i mean that's why their approach worked like a lot of the 2d games of the past they're they're timeless because of that human intention, like they're literally pixel perfect, right? Like it's a low enough resolution that a human being placed every single dot, you know, by hand at some point. And that, that's why those games look uh, and feel so nice and they've, they've aged um, so well. Uh, but typically for 3D, a lot of times during the jump, like, like Thomas was saying, like you just kind of set up the general lighting and then you let the math you know, just determine where the shadow is going to fall. Uh, whereas um, the one of the overarching themes in the de development of Xrd, they said, um, kill the 3D. They were like, if anything yeah. looks too 3D, just like kill it. Um, and they also, another thing they said was, um, what was it? It was like, uh, basically let the artist decide, not the math. Like if something could be mathematically correct, but you know, it's not gonna look right. So they, they it was all about that, expressing that human intention there. Um, I think they were talking about how um, they implemented a, a real-time preview of the lighting in the actual modeling engine so that the artist could uh, make the decision and adjust the lighting per character um, prior to it even being in the engine. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They were using a soft image, which is um, very, very popular in Japan. Uh, th that was pretty much the standard uh, from the PS2 era on. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I yeah, think I it's um, super familiar. Japan software yeah. in Japan. It, <laughs> yeah. It's also a super common software to use uh, in anime productions as well. I think it actually yep. had its start in anime production prior to being because I think it unseated uh, 3ds Max uh, after a while for 
more cinematic production. And obviously it works pretty well with uh, game engines like Unreal. But yeah, I think it had its roots there. I mean, it's still like, it's not quite as simple as use an anime tool to make an anime, but it probably helped. Oh yeah, you know, dude, it's so, we. I can't believe we didn't even say cover this yet. The fact that they pulled this off in Unreal Engine is astounding. Yeah, yeah. Like, I was it's such, to say it's Unreal Engine. Yeah. yeah. It's such a unique looking game, but um, it's on a very standard engine. So, so that this is like, you know, Unreal and Unity are like the two games in town, basically, and for most developers. What's interesting is that they were among the first Japanese studio around, uh, uh, using fighting and making fighting games to go on uh, Unreal Engine because the only game I can think about that was using Unreal Engine at this time was Mortal Kombat. And it was an American game. And mm. um, so they made the jump around 2012, 2013. And right after that, uh, Tekken was an Unreal Engine. Soul Calibur was an Unreal Engine. Uh, yeah. KOF uh, will be on Unreal Engine. Samurai Shodown is on it. Like all games, all, almost all companies are now using it, even in Japan. And uh, from what I was, what I gathered, while talking to uh, game devs about it, and that uh, I think it was uh, Harada-san from the Tekken team, he said that they could basically take all their scripts from all the code for the gameplay and plug it into the Unreal Engine very easily, so they didn't have to redo everything. Mm. And basically, they, they have like this uh, two-headed um, engine <laughs> where Unreal Engine is doing you know, all the 3D stuff and things like that, and all their scripting engine, that that's something you can't recreate. Like for Tekken, for example, it's been used since 25 years. Maybe there's code that's from Tekken 3 still in Tekken 7 today, you know? Wow. And Guilty Gear, it's probably the same, to be honest, mm. <laughs> because it uh, feels the same, and you can't recreate this easily. Richmond, yeah. I wanted to Richmond, I wanted to prompt you because so in a lot of our previous podcasts, we talked a lot about in older games with uh, about things about like baking and textures and vertex lighting. And yep. in this case, the way the engine is, they don't use normals yeah. Uh, yeah. in this at all. And it's yes. kind of reverse, but they do use uh, the advanced versions of vertex lighting. So Richmond, do you have opinions on exactly how they pulled this off? Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Um so again, you know, most times the easiest thing to do in 3D is you, you just kind of fiddle with the lights. You know, you get correct, mathematically correct lighting. You adjust the lights. Here, it's the opposite approach. They don't move the light and then hit render and see what happens. They control the the, the vertices. So they're moving the... They're drawing it. They're, basically, they're using the 3D as if it was ink and paint. Right, and, and that's mm -hmm. what's so phenomenal about their approach. Um, like they so, just oh, just to be sure, a vertex it's like a point from yeah. one of the triangles of the of a three D of a triangle in three D. That's it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, or yeah. a square. Yeah, okay. and so I think what they did in Zerd is they're essentially able to say like we are we want the hard line of the shading to fall along these verts and they just select them and adjust them on on the model uh, which is genius because um what usually gives away most cell shading uh, which is you know like usually real time and engine driven is uh, you get some weird weird lines because cell shading by hand is not literal it's 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 very you know uh, abstracted by the artist and so um 
in real life, you get a lot of gradients, right? Like mm. a lot of shadows are gradiated, but in cell shading, it's like on or off. It's very binary. And you get some awkward moments in those in-between areas <laughs> uh, in most uh, cell shaded stuff. That's why if you can't quite put your finger on it, um, that's going to be one of the major things in a lot of cell shaded stuff where it's like, oh, that doesn't look right. Like those shadows don't quite look right. And in Guilty Gear, they, they could control it exactly. And on top of that, even the uh, lines, the outlines were done via UVs, which is like genius because it's such a simple technique. Like this would have been possible since literally the beginning of like textured 3D. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> this has always been possible, but nobody thought about it that way. It, it's, um, I, I don't know how to explain this to people if you're not familiar with 3D modeling, but um you know, so everyone knows texture maps are like uh, like this. You unwrap the 3D model, right? It, it's sort of like a bearskin rug, right? And mm. then you paint on top of that, right, for the texture maps. And then you have the little points on there that correspond to the model. And the, the crazy thing about the outlines in Guilty Gear is, again, they're not the normal way is to have the hardware decide where the line is or, or to draw it as a texture, right? But the thing with textures is they're limited resolution they figured out a way to move the UVs to create like these basically like infinitely scalable lines. And it, it's, yeah. it's so smart. It's, it's so simple, but it's so smart. <laughs> well, and we mentioned in the past that uh, when we were talking about like tactics and stuff, how they took advantage of the fact that vertex lighting basically just literally gradiates from one point. Um, yeah. It's very yeah. simple, but it, it's very powerful to use it. And they're actually taking advantage of the same technique here because uh, linearly interpolating from one point means that it's it's resolution independent because it's math. Yes. It's not. Yeah. Uh, it's but it doesn't take it. But it's not. It's doing it in such an intentional way. Basically, they're controlling the placement of each one of those things. So even though it's the engine doing the work, they're not allowing it to calculate any of the places where it goes. So they're actually controlling it to to shape the model rather than yep. relying on a texture, which is as Richmond is going on is is insane. It's such a brilliant technique. But uh, basically, everything they said that at the end of this presentation, he said like we didn't invent anything. All the technology was uh, was here, and the game <laughs> he added at the end of his presentation, the game could have been done years ago. Yeah, <laughs> that's the crazy part. Yeah, and, uh, and he says the workflow made the difference because uh, it's the artist's intention that matter in this. Uh, just like you said. Just like you said, I'm I'm still amazed because you know when he did this presentation, I'm not a, I'm I don't work in video games in 3D or 3D on animations or something like that. I have some you know, some notions, but not in 3D. And I asked uh, a friend to explain it to me, and he said to me, "Okay, so they basically you know you have this point and it's the light, and uh, uh, so what they they fixed the light, and after that they took the vertex normal, and then I was like, what the hell is going on?" <laughs> But once you understand it, you're like, okay, that sounds super simple. So why didn't nobody did it before? But basically, if I remember, correct me if I'm wrong. In, mm -hmm. in cell shading, either you're lit or you're not lit. That's yes. it, right? Yep. So if you, if for example, you go um, uh, 90 degrees, you you the, the light is 90 degrees from the model. The, the the it's it's uh there's no light okay so that's it and from what i understand you tell me if you're okay but if it, that's okay but each you know triangle that made a 3d model has points at mm -hmm. the as points and from this point there's a line that goes uh out 
<laughs> just to put it simply. And okay. that's this line that is used to calculate the angle between the light, the light source, and this one. And that's the thing that they twisted to say, yeah. okay, you, this point, it has to be like front of the, of the uh, light source. And when you think about it, like think about how many triangles there are on a 3D model that you <laughs> all the yeah. things you have to twist <laughs> to just change the lightning. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> That's crazy. I, 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 I thought of a good example that, that I think will be easy to picture in your head. So um, cell shading is trickier for uh, hard surfaces, actually. So if it's like a hard, imagine, um, you know, imagine like a mecha, you know, or like mm -hmm. a hard part of the character or just like a big flat plane. Um, so in regular 3D, as, as this thing is turning, you can slowly gradiate from like light to dark as this yeah. thing's turning. And there shouldn't be a hard shadow there, right? But when you're, you're cell shading, um, you can only have a shadow. You don't have that gradient. And in most engines, it ends up being one of those awkward moments where it's like, it's off, 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 suddenly it's on. It just pops. That whole surface mm. is suddenly dark. And in Guilty Gear, they control they subdivide the surface and they can have that shadow creep up um mm. which, which other people haven't hadn't done before really not not in real time at least yeah that's that's amazing the result you know i i said before that i don't like the um, the, the art direction of the game but yeah <laughs> this game is so beautiful i just played it before the podcast and mm. there are like acts you can do in the configuration of the game to super sample the game and put it in 4k even if you are in a, you know a 1080p 80p resolution yeah. and the game is sharp but so sharp and so beautiful that's yeah. incredible that's really incredible yeah. yeah there's times where i literally just turn the game on and pick a random character in training mode and just look at it <laughs> like i don't even like hit buttons or or anything like if i'm actually like working on something like sometimes i'll just look at it and be like okay like what can i glean from this in terms of like principle or philosophy because this just looks so amazing like yeah. you could you could look at something as simple as like you could literally go through every character's uh, walk animations and there's mm. literally you could teach a class an entire course on the subtleties of like how they approached making the animations for like walking back like Biken's walking back animation is probably oh. one of the most like <laughs> character driven uh, things I've ever seen in my life mm, like yeah. you, you, you get so much from the way that she moves the way that she moves forward the way she moves back and it's just like sometimes I just look at that stuff like man like, how can I think on this level, you know? And then sometimes not even that. It's just sheer appreciation for it, just for the work uh, that went into it. Because it's, it's an unreasonably beautiful game. I mean, yeah, Strive came out, and it does look a little different to you, like, after you've played Strive for a while. But, like, even still, it is, it is a, a beautiful, like, thing. Yeah, it's it's just amazing that they could make lightning strike three times like that. They can keep exactly. redefining <laughs> the visuals of the genre. Yeah, um, let, let's let's talk about the animation. You know, like so. I mean, w before we were talking about the modeling, the lighting, and the interesting tricks that they used. Uh, that was a little bit more technical, but I think the animation itself is 
much easier to understand. And if you're a developer, this is something that everyone could do in their game. They they went with a less is more approach for the animation. So usually the jump to 3D, what people love is that you set the keyframes and the engine interpolates for you, yeah. right? Because drawing all those frames is the most time consuming part of a 2D game, right? Like I, I think um, King of Fighters, uh, 13, I think they spent like a year just per character. Like a, 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 yeah. an entire animator's entire year could be spent on just one character. It's a grueling process. Yeah. So, so typically you would think normally that you would want the computer to tween and you'd get this, you know, really high frame rate. But, um, you know, that's actually one of the dead giveaways of something being 3D. Like sometimes more isn't better. So I, I think they were really insightful in that they limited the frame rate of the game and modulated it mm. to, to um, I think, one, it helped uh, keep the feeling of the game. Um, and it, uh, But two, I think, like, just as an art direction, it ensured that even the animation, like, a human being poured over every aspect of it. Like, there's no computer saying, like, hey, let me do some of the lifting for you. It's like... Again, they just treated it like ink and paint. Like they posed every single frame you see in the game. Well, um, they went out of their way to capture the imperfection of of handcrafted art. Yeah, That's, it 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 hits different. Mm -hmm. The the I remember that there was in this demo there was the, you know the the video of you see uh, Soul. Uh, I think it was a big small move. It's so smooth. And he's yeah. like, oh, we didn't keep this. We 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 did this, and they're like, <laughs> and suddenly it's it lacks frames, but it feels yes, way more. Uh, I don't know, uh, violent maybe. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That's that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Because um, I I think some people when they hear this, they might think like, oh, you know, like they're just fetishizing uh, the past, and like you know, they're trying to make it look two D. It's more than that. It's not just about blindly making it more 2D. It's about what works better for the game. Mm -hmm. And the thing with low frame rate animation, and I've, I've been animating for like over 20 years now, and the, I, I feel like the older I get, the more I appreciate lower frame rate stuff. You know, when, when I was younger, mm -hmm. it was like, oh, yeah, you know, animate on ones, right? 24 frames per second or bust. And then for fighting <laughs> games, you know, they run at 60 frames per second. Um, but now I realize, like, you know, less is more. Like, for instance, especially for a fighting game, if everything is silky smooth 60 frames per second, your brain is taking in a lot more information all at once. When you modulate the frame rate, you get to tell you get to control like what sticks in people's minds more. And I think the lower frame rate lets you feel each frame more, if that makes sense. And then that is a uh, much more meaningful when you're perfectly posing each frame. So you're, it's not just like a straight mathematical tween. It's like everything's where it's meant to be. Like, so in that example, like uh, if, if you watch the GDC video or I, I remember some of my teammates at work, they just, they actually somehow downloaded the, 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 uh, the 3D files for the characters and we were messing around with it and like playing them at a higher frame rate. And we're like, yeah, it just it doesn't look as good for some reason. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. it's smoother, but it just yeah. doesn't have as much impact. I, I, I think I think the thing that that I tried to explain to someone, I was like, a normal attack should feel like 
a normal attack, not a cutscene. Yeah, it yeah. Shouldn't, it shouldn't have such a procedural amount of animation that you're not even focused on the totality of what's on the screen. Like, you're literally looking at a thorough animation that is unnecessary. Yeah. Um, you know, and I and I don't want to rag on like Street Fighter Five because uh, you know that game has its purpose for people and there are people that enjoy it. But <laughs> one of the things that bothered me was uh, if you look at the if you look at Ken's standing roundhouse and you look at uh, Ken's standing roundhouse in Third Strike, it's mimicking a similar thing. I mean, yeah. it's even in Alpha in the Alpha series, it's relatively similar. But I would say that the Third Strike one and the Street Fighter Five one is like they're trying to mimic the Third Strike standing roundhouse. When you look at that animation, you see Ken procedurally moving forward, but you get the idea that he's gaining momentum to hit someone hard because it's a heavy attack in Third Strike. In Street Fighter V, yeah, there's probably more animation, but it literally looks like he's just dragging a limb. It doesn't look like he's actually like, <laughs> kicking anybody. Yeah. So, you know, when you have the right amount of animation, you can deliver that feeling of that snap. There's you know, this problem. Like, uh, yes, yeah. snap. The, you know, that's precisely right. it. Yeah. KOF 14 has this massive problem of uh, of mixing, you know, um, animation from with, with keyframes and you know timings from the old games, and animation made with interpolation in the engine, and <laughs> it's it's terrible in KOF 14. Like when they jump jumps seems floaty like every when the game came out i remember st speaking with friends they were saying like uh, the, the the jumps are slower the game is slower but the game is not slower actually people you know make made comparison and it was not slower it's just the animation was not working the same and uh it's the same for you for the rolls like uh, you can roll in uh in king in king of fighters and um if you if you look at some rolls it it doesn't work it, it's like the the character goes at the same speed during the wall <clears throat> roll while is uh you know diving on the ground it doesn't make sense <laughs> at all and yeah. Uh, yeah. and there's and there's also a big difference between uh old characters and the new characters they created the new characters have more in between frames and more animation. So in KOF 14, it's an example of not doing it properly. Even if I don't want to, you know, uh, be hard on the SNK team because they, they had like two years to make 50 characters. Yeah. So, so of course they, they went this way, but I hope that they are going to address this in the next game because it's really, really disturbing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I feel like um, one of the things that when you look at Exard and you look at other games that are 3D, uh, like 3D fighting games on a 3D plane, you, you see very quickly, subconsciously, whether you're able to articulate it or not, the hard work that goes into making fighting games in general that are 3D, but the extra mile that Arxis went to make sure that nothing looked off or odd like in terms mm. of immersion and i think that you know when you're dealing with 3d there's so much information you're visually taking in that it's it's a responsibility of the development team to say okay well how do we make this work that you're not taken out of the element and unfortunately i think that uh it's a it's a difficult task for a lot of companies to figure out well how do we solve this problem and not only that how do we solve this problem consistently with every single character mm. um 
you know, especially when you have different development timeframes where you've got DLC characters that maybe got a little more attention because, you know, logistically we had more time. Uh, whereas in Guilty Gear, it's consistent across the board. There's no one character that you look at and you go, wait a minute, what's going on here? Everything is an experience of equal, like, I guess, visual absorption. So, like, you, it just makes you appreciate it that much more. To be honest, I think there are some moves in the first new characters that they made for Ixon that adds this feeling of too much frames, you know? Like, if you take characters like Bedman or Jaco or things like that, they have a lot of spinning moves or or really w very, very animated um, details. And sometimes they are not very readable. But overall, there's no... That's just, uh, that's just perfect. There's, like, nothing to... <laughs> I can't, I can't go and say Guilty Gear Exert is badly animated because that's not true. There's just two or three moves I can think of that are too much 3D, too 3D, maybe, but that's all. I think that's a testament to how successful they were because typically mm. in a 3D game, like everything matches because everything's in the same engine, but they've created the equivalent of playing, uh, say, Su Super Street Fighter 2, where like you have the old sprite, and then all of a sudden, like... Uh, you know, Ryu does his like forward medium punch, and like oh, yeah, the sprite yeah. just suddenly like <laughs> jumps up and yeah, fall. yeah. Uh, Chun Li had that problem with uh, Ten Shokyak because oh, uh, I yeah yeah like not only did the sprite get bigger, but it was like amazingly more beautiful. Like when she does Ten Shokyak, so it like turned into third strike for that move. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that and I believe the Ochio throw had that problem too, where he almost looked pseudo alpha like. <laughs> Yeah. Where when he does the grab, like all of a sudden, like his the lines on him are like more defined. Like you see yeah. his muscles and like yeah. everything. You're like, holy crap! Is this like pre Street Fighter Alpha One? Like what is yeah. you know? So, but but yeah, that's something that happens. And to be able to uh, create a game where you have characters that are consistently animated, uh, that's a especially at that level with yeah. absurd. Like it's especially at that level. So it's like to be able to manage something like that where you have somebody like obviously dutifully checking to make sure that you know things are correct it's like man like that's a it just again this is part of why sometimes i go into training mode and i just mess around with characters i don't even play just mm. to see like what the animations look like just to see like you know and stare at their attacks and be like wow like how did they create this it's it's like, again, I mean, this isn't to shame any other company because all companies have different development pipelines and different talent and different resources. Uh, but what was done in Exert, I mean, I, I really feel like it's just a testament to resources that were all already there, but just weren't, no one knew how to utilize them. Mm -mm -mm. That's true. That's true. Well, there, there were, um, uh, I wonder if it's related to when they put it in the game, because like some of the new characters like Leo Whitefang, He's actually got a pretty slow, really easy to follow animation style. Um, so I, uh, I don't, I don't know. It may have just been like a direction thing per character or something as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, what uh, what character stood out to you guys? Like, you know, what, once you got your hands on the game, like which ones jumped out at you? Uh, Mikan. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Get into that. Let's, let's let's hear it. Uh, I mean. 
it's like I mean, I, of course, I played Soul because you know that's who always teaches me how to play a Guilty Gear game. I always start with Soul. You could do Dust Loop again. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. And plus, <laughs> and plus, I had I had to satisfy I had to satisfy my urge to do uh, Dust Loop constantly. But once I got over that, I said, okay, I want to learn the game now. I said, okay. So, so, so I, I, I gravitated toward Biken. And I mean, you know, I'm, I, I really like, uh, you know, like Kunoichi type characters anyway. I, that's something that, that's just my, my aesthetic. Yeah, and you, you'll see, it's very evident in your work. Uh, just, yeah. if, if you're listening right now, everyone, reminder, look up uh, James. On Twitter is at Beefy Kunoichi. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yes. I mean it's it's pretty self-explanatory. But yeah. uh, but the thing is, is that you know, I mean, when I looked at her, like I liked how she looked in previous Guilty Gears, but when I saw what she looked like in Exert, it was like I was like, wow, this is the movie version. It's like I went from playing Guilty Gear TV to okay, Wit Studio took over, and now they've made a movie of of Guilty Gear, and this is the version of Viking that I get to play. So when I started, like, when I go through a game, like, especially a fighting game, one of the things I do first, if I'm not really familiar, even if I am familiar, is I go through all of their normal attacks, like all of them, because I need to see, like, what their purpose is. I need to see if this is a poke. I need to see if this is an anti-air for people trying to jump in. I need to see if this is, like, a long-range move. I need to see if I can whiff this move to make you think I'm going to do something. I go through this process. But the thing is, when I did this with her, it was just, like, I felt like I was watching a movie. I was just like, this is so cool. Like, your hard slash is the most amazing looking thing in the world. You know, <laughs> her air dust is like, wow, like this is, I, if you zoom the camera in on this particular part of the screen, you could say, oh, that looks like that's from an anime, like a movie or something. But, uh, but one of the things I really liked about her is they didn't necessarily change too much. Um, so I, I kind of had an idea of like how to uh, approach playing this character but again i mean it really came down to just the feel of just being like wow i really feel what this character is about in when they walk when they jump when they move like it it was one of those things where i was like man like i'm gonna be able to be an offensive mess with this character the way that i want to (laughs) like like i i know that like once i realized how the parry worked once i realized like how you know, her normals work, and I got used to the timing of, of Exert. It was just like, yes, this is the character that I want to play that feels pseudo-like Guy, but is not Guy from, like, Street Fighter Alpha. Because I always try to find the Guy in every game. That's just <laughs> me. Because uh, I just love the, the play style that he represented back in, like, the older games. But, um, yeah, with Biken, it was just like, it was like a match made in heaven. Like, I was just like, this version of Biken makes more sense to me than previous ones. And I know some people may argue about that or whatever, but I felt mm. like in Exerd, <laughs> uh, she made more sense for what I wanted to do. Um, and that was like something that I, I really um, gravitated towards. So I stuck with Biken for, for quite a while. I mean, yeah, Soul always, you know, sometimes <laughs> you just want to dust loop, but, you know, like I, I feel like, Biken was the character that, that stuck out to me the most. Like, just, I mean, her walk back animation. I swear, like, it is, it is. Yeah, yeah. That's it's such like a, a character driven thing because she just does not give a fuck. She has like, so much uh, swagger. Yeah. yeah. So it was just like that to me was just like 
I want to feel this character's story every time I move around in the game. So that's that's basically why I, I pick Viking. I'm also a huge fan of her destroy move. You know, the one where it like pans out and it's like slow. <sighs> and there's so a, good. A koi jumps in front of the camera. <laughs> like everything know. about her was a movie for me. Yeah, yeah, but you know? she's she's the I think she's the, the the from the two last characters they made because she was in uh, she came out in Rave Two, so the the last iteration with the the secretary oh, ninja right. answer. So that's right. Like, she that, did come out with answer. Yeah, damn, I forgot that. The bacon is like the 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 primer, like m primer example of how far they can go and uh, be good. Uh, with this technique, it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. I but but at, as opposed to you, I really don't like character design in this episode. I like how she moves. I like how she's characterized. Actually, you know, when I just look at the designs in of, of the game of the character design, I'm like, I don't like it. And then if I pick the character in the game and uh, just move, I'm I'm in love. And that's the same with so many characters in this game. That it's uh, it's frustrating, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's uh, she's incredible. The 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 walk animations, the walk animations of Bacon are are something to be witness. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no one walks back or forward like Bacon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's really interesting how she's uh, developed um, in every game, right? In, in the very first game, she was uh, a secret character, and she was like real scrappy looking, right? Like she was very thin. Um, yeah. You could, uh, at first glance, you might not even be able to tell she's a woman. You know, yeah. uh, I, I think she was uh, voiced by the Kenshin's voice actor. Yeah, she was heavily inspired so. by Kenshin. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and she's only got one arm, too, yeah. in case our listeners don't know. So she's, like, a very unusual character. Um, in the second game, she's a little more, like, badass-looking, right? She's, like, cleaned up. Um, yeah, uh, her hair's gotten bigger. And then the third one, like, everything is, like, ramped up. Like, she's, uh, her hair is humongous. Her outfit is a little more uh, elaborate. Um, you know, her eye patch is like a goggle. There's like more details. And um, I think she just has so much like swagger in this game, like just so much confidence in, in every movement. She also has like a, a kind of jacket from the, uh, I suppose, 19th century Japan with a pirate uh, sign on it. That, mm. But all, all characters redesigned in Ixard are, are actually like really charged there's motives there are signs there are things everywhere actually mm. so um but it, it fits it kind of fits bacon i don't like oh they sexualize there so much in this game to be honest because i i really enjoyed we, we talked about it in the in the the third episode i think about how the the most characters male and female are really really different uh on a physical uh, point of view and um, body on, in body shapes and in attitude and things like that and that's one thing I don't like in Xert. It's all everyone is beefed up. <laughs> we talk about it. Very, it's intentional, but yeah. I, I really enjoy you know have, having skinny characters and things like that. And like I think except for May, every character, every female character is like is is now a bimbo in Ixod and with huge breast and small waist and huge hips and things like that 
And that's something that I really, really disliked in the game. So, well, that's my take. <laughs> I don't know about how you feel about it, but that's really something that I really didn't enjoy. It's too anime for me, but too, too, it's not anime because, you know, Guilty Gear always has always been an anime, but it's too close to fan service anime that I don't like, you know. It's, yeah. they, they always took influences from animes that were popular at the time when they created the characters we talked about it with the influences and things like that but this time it's more like there's a general aesthetics that came into the game and this general aesthetic is more is making all female characters cuter and all male characters more dominant more muscular and uh, i think it lacks variety in this game it's beautifully done don't get me wrong if you like it you're you're in for a ride, you know. But if you don't like it, like me, it's it's hard to to swallow because as as I said, you launch the game and everything is incredible, but just I don't get it. <laughs> okay, I'll, sorry, I'm in the mood. <laughs> oh, no, 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 it's okay. No, I, no, no, I, no, that's I would fine. say um, I feel like uh, there's still that weirdness in that yeah, uh, yeah. in the game that like like a uh, uh, kum right. The, the yeah. Korean character, it's like this. He's like the massive, you know, huge muscular guy character, right? He's a giant Korean man with white hair. He's, he's an older character, but yeah. then actually inside is like a young, uh, you know, a thin waifish woman like piloting, like mm -hmm. this suit of like this this mountain of a man. Like it's a really unusual character. Well, I think the, the don't get me wrong. Really, it's not that I don't like the the concepts. Of mm -hmm. the characters, because because we could we can say, for example, that I don't know, Jaco is, for example, League of Legends in Guilty Gear, and she's basically Jaco Lantern, <laughs> but except she's <laughs> super sexualized and she's doing splits everywhere, and uh, she's also playing piano and uh, she's throwing you in uh, in <laughs> everywhere. Well, it's it's crazy as Guilty Gear has ever been crazy. It's just the way. It's you know yeah, executed yeah. later that I don't like, but it's still so so inspired, like on paper. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Um, it, it sounds like maybe uh, a lot of uh, what you don't like is sort of what it's reflecting back of of contemporary uh, anime trends. Yeah, right? maybe that's it. Yeah, that the the um, you know when you look at, for example, at Jam in uh, in Guilty Gear Ixion, just you look at her face, and that's basically the face of Harui Suzumiya. You know the anime. She has the exact same face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't and think about you, that. Yeah. And if you take even uh, even for example, um, even in Strive, we haven't talked about it yet, but uh, even in Strive, if you take Mei, for example, she's a copy of uh, another character from the Bakemonogatari series, I think, and. A lot of, for example, details, like take Bacon, for example. She has, a new design is great, but for, they, they arranged, you know, her hair to, to make like, a, I don't know, fox uh, heels behind her, her head. So there's a lot of details like that that's, that says, hey, look, it's an anime, you know, anchor that you can get, you, you can recognize. And so it is... The, the the weirdness of Guilty Gear and allows it to be more, I think, understandable by uh, anime communities and uh, anime fans. But, you, but in the same 
regard, I think it normalized a bit guilty gear awareness. So, so, so for you, it's like get get that get get that blaze blue BS out of my guilty gear. Right? Yeah, a little <laughs> bit, but not not that much, but a little bit. Yeah, a yeah, little a little bit. bit. A little but because you know, blaze blue was a game that was basically taking what's trending in anime and making a character out of it, mm-hmm. and. Um, there's an attack on of on Titan character in Blast Blue. I think I already said it, but the same weapons, the same clothes, the same thing. And it, in Guilty Gear, it's way more subtle. You know, when you when you look at Bacon, she's still this badass fighting woman with a single eye and a single arm and a katana, and she's going to wreck your face and things like that. Mm. But she's more anime. I don't know more digestible. I guess, I think, and I don't like this this kind of thing. It's like I don't feel that it's as much guilty gear as before. But that's just me. Let's not mm-hmm. just talk about me and ruining the mood of the podcast. I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry. Really, but I, but sure. I'm look when I look at Jam and I'm like she has huge boobies. I'm like what the. F-? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let me ask you. Um, which are there any characters from the new cast or the new versions of the characters that you did enjoy? Yeah, I love Raven. Okay. Oh, Raven, Raven, you know, Ra- Raven is like the the main second antagonist of Guilty Gear, and he always has been represented in uh, in the artworks and things like that. He was never playable before this game, and he was always represented mm-hmm. as a kind of statue, statue, and mm-hmm. with a with you you know sp- he has a spike uh, in his head. So when he, they said Raven is coming, I was like, whoa, we're going to have, you know, this massive Jew, the statue like, like I was almost thinking it was going to be a Greek character, you know, like Uriah in the first strike or, or things like that. And <laughs> yeah, basically yeah. it's the wall opposite. Like the character is inspired by birds and crows and is extremely f- flexible. <laughs> yeah. He's, and he's, he's like, like a Bishonen Jetta. <laughs> but he's amazing he's He's amazing he's amazing his arms stretch he's doing weird position he's basically flexing all the time but he's you know he has like spaghetti arms and it's the complete opposite it's the complete opposite of what uh, Raven was like in uh, in artworks and things like that and the imagery they used because he's uh, inspired by crows so he's dressing in black he has a, uh, a cape and uh, and things like that. And what I really enjoy about him is that there are really a lot of subtle details. For example, when he guards, his cape makes a sh- uh, the, the shape of an egg. For example, that reminds you a bit about um, about Berserk, you know. <laughs> and oh, there's yeah. and the headlight. Like the like he's uh, like he's uh, just birthed from from an egg, like in Berserk. And there's a lot of details like this uh, with this character, things that you you don't really see first, and then once you see it, uh, you can't unsee it. I, I really enjoyed. Like it was a complete surprise because this character is supposed to be in Guilty Gear for like 20 years at this point, and and they're saying, okay, we're bringing it to you, and it's nothing. You thought it was going to be, and I really loved it for this. Okay. Yeah, like his uh, his like uh, cape behind him has like a really nice flow that feels like wings, and um, mm. I forget I don't know how to describe it, but his walk forward animation is pretty strange. Uh, it's <laughs> like really off kilter feeling, but uh, it's really really uh, key to like kind of the feel of the character, like the way. But it's also like it's off kilter, but the way he moves is so incredibly quick. Uh, mm. 
definitely a really fun character to watch. Dash, when he dashes forward, too, he, he kind of disappears in the bubble and reappears somewhere else. And everything about this character is so smooth, so yeah. it's incredible. It's incredible. Was he part of the starting cast or was he added later? Because he's no. really impressively animated. He was added in Revelator, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, uh, Revelator okay. was yeah. Unlock an unlockable character in Revelator. That's right. Yeah, because I, I feel like that's like a character that you make when you've really like matured with yeah. the the techniques you're using. Yeah, we're, we're acting like uh, Revelator and Revelator Two were were small additions like other ones, but they actually added a ton of characters to the cast between yeah. Assign and Revelator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of them. For example, the I think when Revelator came out, it was the moment that they. They mastered everything. They were, the, the, you know, the technology, the way they were doing it. It was uh, that in Revelator they had Johnny, Jaco, Jam, Coom, Raven, and Dizzy. So that's a lot of characters. Some of them were in uh, in DLC, I think, but they were incredibly well made. And some fan favorites like Dizzy, for example, they could have, you know, failed a lot with this kind of characters and they didn't and that's very very impressing impressive sorry yeah <laughs> sean who who were you, uh the characters that stood out to you for from uh, exerd uh so I, I was a little bit like james when i started i started with kai because of course i did um, <laughs> uh, and then like i i actually uh this won't surprise anybody i really quickly uh moved on to leo just because i liked the whole kind of Paladin Holy Knight thing, and I, I okay. enjoyed uh, how easy that like his moves aren't easy, but they're easy to follow. Like he has that kind of slow, methodical feel to him. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I actually really enjoyed. I uh, started playing a weird amount of like Milia and Jam in this game. Uh, what I liked about that, there's something about um, Jam used to always be a lot more of like kind of a, a kick feel character, and this one they did a lot with um, her, the fabric, right? Like it, it this kind of a flow to how she she moves her arms yeah. and how the fabric moves on her arms, and I really enjoyed that about the way she felt, and she felt fast to me. And uh, I also like uh, wanted to mention like with both, uh, I'm gonna put Milia and Potemkin in this area. I really liked what they did with the the kind of pushing farther into the Soviet feel of the design. Uh, mm -hmm. Like some of the so like uh, Milia has kind of the yellow with the the um, the I forget what the name of the cap is the. Um, the uh, really warm uh, cap that, that you see in Russia quite a bit. And then Potemkin has like this kind of uh, military uniform. He's very different from when he was introduced in the series. And he has like insane... What's that? A shapka, I think. Yeah, yeah, correct. Uh, and then like Potemkin even has like intros where he like drop he's dropped out of a plane in a box. And then like, <laughs> so I just like, all those things were, like, I really enjoyed uh, j like, not, not quite, it's not, it's not so much the art direction, but it's just like the evolutions of these characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just something that made me really enjoy them. So, uh, like I said, I still played a lot of Kai because I think he's like a, a king in this game and everything. I really, I still really enjoy Kai. He still feels the same to me. But um, I played. I think I've played through the through all the game things with with Milia more more often than other games. So I've oh, okay. kind of became like a weird. I never really played her that much. I always liked the character. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was something about that. Uh, that kind of pseudo-Russian aesthetic that they added that really made me enjoy it. I don't know. Maybe it's my heritage. <laughs> That's right. Borsky. That's your last yeah. name. <laughs> yes, yeah, so my family is uh, Russian and from Georgia. Oh. Georgia not, not the Georgia in America, although we, we, I also live oh, in Georgia. Oh, that's where you ended up. Georgia, yeah, yeah. Georgia. <laughs> Georgia, Georgia, yeah. Oh, okay. Georgia, Georgia, Richmond, Richmond. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I did. I did grow up, uh, spend a good deal of my life in Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, good, good choices. Um, for for me, uh, the character I play the most is I always go back to Venom, and uh, just mm. you know, they they just did a really good translation of him into three D. Um, I, I think he's probably one of the characters that changed the least design wise, right? Yeah. From, and probably gameplay wise too. I'm, I don't play at a high level, so I can't speak of the subtleties. But he seemed pretty straightforward. But um, as far as the new cast goes, one character that stood out to me a lot was uh, Bedman. <laughs> like again, like <laughs> the weirdo of the game. Like they keep finding ways to push the envelope for these. Uh, I think I'm gonna try to learn him. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Uh, I like I, I like oh oh Bedman. You know, fits the the way we describe character. Ishiwatari characters in this podcast, like, oh, so it's a man <laughs> yeah. in coma in a bed, and the bed is alive, and the bed wears uh, like a, a crone from the an English like a Queen Elizabeth crone, <laughs> and the and yeah. fights, and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, he. Yeah, I mean, I, it's like a cliche to say like, oh, where do they come up with these ideas? But it's like. <laughs> Dude, with Ishiwatari, it's like, how the hell did he think of that? Like, I'm really curious was... about what he's taking, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. Um, to, to me, what's interesting about Bedman, too, is like he's sort of like a... Sort of like a Fujoshi fan service character. Like this is a character that's going to be really sexy to like a certain kind of person. <laughs> like, like he's the only uh, male character I can think of in a yeah. game that has like like upskirt shots. <laughs> like you know, may, maybe you'll be able to see some more skin if you like pause on this frame. And ah, it's yeah, like a bizarre way. character too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah, forget where cool. I read it, but I, I read a comment that uh, somewhere that uh, he was basically the embodiment of being increasingly verbose. What do you What do you mean? Uh, in in terms of the the way, and I think uh, Thomas mentioned this before, the way that he attacks mm. uh, seems to continue getting more complicated as he and as he oh, yeah, yeah. combo. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty yeah. weird escalation. Like it, it actually like you can feel it. Uh, getting more complicated looking as like the other parts of the bed and like, cause he isn't just on a bed. He has a bunch of other pieces that play into it. And right. as he moves up into like spins as part of most of his combos, like they, they feel long and drawn out. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was wrong. That's not, that's not a crone from your uh, Queen Elizabeth. It's more like a, a Catholic crone or something like that. Oh, the crown. Yeah. 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 And the crown. Yes. And he has spikes. Sean, like, do you, do you... Oh, good. Sorry. Sorry. Go, go, go. I was just wondering if Sean, uh, if you recognized anything about the crown. You you uh, grew up Catholic for a good part of your life. Uh, is that any special significance to that sort of poofy hat with the cross in it? Uh, nothing that I would say that I, I noticed specifically. I mean, it's clearly Catholic, but that's about the end of it, right? Okay. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. They, they've always been pretty good about, like, understanding uh Christian and Catholic imagery in the game, but I, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't add as much uh, for me, at least. Uh, okay. Yeah. I don't know if you saw, but the the it has incredible also uh, tones because we didn't speak about it before. But all characters they have, they have like two or three tones. There's like the tone, the respect, and the insult, or something like that. And that, in one of them, the bed takes. The, the I don't know if it's the bed that is Batman or, or the human or both, but it takes the, the the glasses from the human. The bed takes the glasses and cleans them. 
<laughs> before putting them back. But the guy in the bed is in coma. He can't yeah. see. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I, you know, it just occurred to me. I think maybe one of the inspirations for the character was. Um, did you guys ever see Rujin Z, the uh, Otomo movie? Oh yes. Oh, yes, this old anime. Um, like I, I believe it was the follow-up to Akira, right? It was. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So after Otomo made the most groundbreaking anime film, huge international hit, uh, influenced live-action movies, everyone was like, "What is he gonna do next?" And he made <laughs> a weirdo black comedy about like the near future in Japan, where to deal with the aging population, the solution was to make these automated beds that can just take care of, you know, the, the octogenarians for you. So no one has to pay attention to them. And then one old man goes rogue in his uh, fully automated bed. So that I, I wonder if Ishiwatari watched that and was like, I'm going to I'm going to take this character and make him like a sexy young man. <laughs> What was the, the name of this thing from uh, Rojin, Rojin Z? Rojin Z, yeah. Rojin Z, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. really fun movie. Yeah, you probably <laughs> just look up Rojin Z, though, and probably yeah, find yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, and, so long. Yeah, and the, char the character designs were by, um, I, I, I'm so bad with names, um, I can't think of his name right now, really good manga artist. He did uh, the Stop Hibarikun, uh, that, was, that was real popular in the 80s. That, that was the old cartoon about like a trans girl. Um, it ran in Shonen Jump. It was a huge hit. It was, it was a re really fun uh, comic. Uh, uh, so, uh, sorry, Richmond. I just went, I was trying to figure this out. I went and looked at the art uh, to, to see like what, if, if I should have noticed something about the crown. I actually don't, um, I think it's Catholic in that it's actually a reference to the crown jewels. Oh, really? Uh, the, Engl the English crown jewels, yeah, it looks exactly like that. So I don't think it was actually intentionally religious. Uh, okay. But I, I basically, I like, I yeah, yeah, you're right. I was, yeah. like, oh, I was like, oh yeah, this looks like the crown jewels to me. Oh, um, so that's just the crown nice jewels, to, yes. Just to note, the character designer was a uh, Hisashi Eguchi. Yeah, Hisashi Eguchi. Yeah, for uh, yes. for uh, Rujin Zeto. Yeah. yeah. And it, and I actually think the uh, the head that the crown is on is also a reference to yeah. the portion of the scepter that you see as well for the coronation. Mm -hmm. um, the, oh. the, the bowl, the bowl with the, that he has a, that the, they they keep in one hand. Yeah, yep. mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah, so, that's oh. so like I'm now, now that I've now that I've looked at this very deeply and compared the images of the crown jewels, I'm pretty confident this is a very mm -hmm. intentional <laughs> parallel. Yeah. yeah, that's completely the crown jewels. Yes. Huh. <laughs> that's amazing what? i i actually you know i don't even know bedman's story i i just know that he's this absolutely bizarre character does that fit into like his story at all i think i i uh in my in my memory is helping someone some other character i think he, he helps like one of the villains like i know or, or that man or something like that Okay. But I don't remember exactly what happens. Um, after all, the only way he speaks is when he's, uh, we go inside his dreams and he talks so much. Mm. So, uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Cool. I seem to recall that he's supposed to be a pretty mysterious character, so I don't actually know much about his backstory at all. It's like Q in First Strike. There's nothing we know about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Yeah.
Okay, mm -hmm. let's um let's talk about the gameplay. <laughs> Finally, yeah. Let's. Uh, I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on the changes that they made and. Um, the game is slower, I think. The, uh, the game is a bit slower because Ishwatari said gameplay-wise he wanted to go back to Reload because Reload was the, the last game he worked, last fighting okay. game he worked on. And okay. he had he had some, to be honest, I think Ishwatari had some bad opinions about the game. Like he had some controversial ideas that he was like, we want to... Uh, you know, the, the game is supposed to be for all types of players, and we were on a time where shortcuts and um, more lenient uh, input mm. buffers were common. And I remember playing Sign for the yeah. first time, and I was like, oh my god, doing DPs is so hard in this game compared to other games at the same time. And oh, really? also, yeah, yeah, I, I think they eased it a bit by Revelator and Revelator too, but in Sign, I had the memory, I have the memory that it was hard. The, and the actual input for like a regular move. Yeah, yeah, for the for the dragon punch, you know, with yeah. soul. And uh, one of one of the things too is that you know when you take a combo in Guilty Gear and uh, you want to and you you get out, you have to press a button to get out of the combo when the the reach turn is not enough. And in most games that have this mechanic where uh, you have to press the button, you just you know uh, you you just keep pressing the button and when you can get free because the system lets you go free you you get free automatically and i think in this game you have to you know piano all the time during combos to recover uh, your character um, to recover your character and there are some things like that in the game that feels a bit old school and misplaced for a game that came out in 2014 but yeah, I think that's all. No, there's okay. also the the thing about basically it's Guilty Gear XX with it's 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 Guilty Gear XX slower with a new uh, Roman console. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Thing. Could, could could we maybe just first uh, go yeah, into sorry. a brief overview of um, just what what are the key differences? The uh, key difference. The key difference. There are two key differences. The first is that the Roman Council uh, system has been redone, and the second is that there's a new uh, defensive mechanic uh, called the Blitz Shield. Blitz Shield. Sorry. So the 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 difference in Roman Council is that if you remember correctly, the the move the when we talked about James with James about it about how you know doing councils where was hard in the XX series if you wanted to do the blue Roman console, the one that took only 25% of your tension charge. And so since it was hard to do and you add something like two or three frames of, uh, of a window canceling, and that at this time, not all TVs were lag-free and not all consoles were lag-free, it was becoming harder and harder to do things in game systems that required precise input like this. Mm. So they changed it for for they changed the blue uh, Roman console to a yellow Roman console. And basically, what it does is uh, it slows the game. It slows down the game, and you can do it at the startup of your moves if your moves are not if your opponent is not touched by the move because. The red run console is still here. You hit your opponent. You press three buttons. Fifty percent of your 
of your resources are gone, but you're free to move. And in this one, it's only in the startup of moves and while not touching your opponent. So that's a big difference because in some in the in the older games there were some cancels that happened during its and it was it was not possible uh, in this game. So some characters have new combo routes or things like that to compensate. And uh, the big difference too is that blue Roman cancels were on a precise move with precise timings. You can do a yellow Roman cancel almost anytime. And I'm really anytime you are, I don't know, doing nothing, you press three button, you slow down the game. You are dashing, for example, air dashing, you press three button, you fall back on the ground uh, faster. You are, I don't know, jumping, you can press three button. To, you see your opponent doing a big slow move at the other side of the screen, you press three button, and if your character runs fast enough, like Milia, for example, you can almost punish them. So mm. the, the, the meta of the game really changed because of that, because suddenly everything is cancelable if it's not touching your opponent. And that's something that was very controversial. And one of the reasons it was even more controversial, because, you know, when there are no rules, how do you play the game? You know, that's, that's strange. That's a bit strange. Welcome to Mugen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, on itself, it was a bit strange. But the, the, the very big problem was that this slowdown, it was eating the inputs of the other character, of the other player. So, for example, if you are, I don't know, uh, doing... If I press three button, you see... you. I press three button, I dash on you during the slow motion, you want to do a dragon punch, for example, the dragon punch will not come out because inputs are eaten by the um, by the, the slow motion. And that's so, so, that, that make, makes you super mad because the, the way, the, the reason why is because the, um, the, 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 the speed of the game, you know, they, they are actually slowing down the game. So if you slow down the a, play, a, a player, there are less frames to register the inputs he's making. And that's what is happening. It's the same in the old Capcom games where they are, when, when they skipped frames, you have, you, for example, the game was running at uh, 57 frames instead of, of 60. If you mm. press the button during these three frames that were eaten by the game, the, your move will not come out. And that's what is happening during the slowdown. So that's the big, 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 big change that happened in Xrd. Uh, yeah, it, 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 did, it did actually oddly function similar to, I guess, like a custom combo activation. Yeah. Where it, it kind of... It, it kind of negated any other uh, inputs that were happening. So if someone was smart enough, you could you could manipulate a situation in a very specific way that it, it, it can mess with your head a bit. So yeah, he is right about that. Like there, there definitely were issues where people would succinctly say, okay, well, I know that you're going to try to like either close the gap or you're going to try to do something but if I actually do activate my Roman cancel, I can essentially eat your input and mm. then I can do whatever it is that I want to do. So, yeah, that was something that definitely was an issue, a room for improvement kind of thing with Exerd. Is definitely what, something that 
Uh, just a quick question. So when you talk about eating the input, like, do you think that was an intentional part of the design or is that something that they, um, you know, just kind of kept in? Because uh, mm, do, do you think, think that, was that it was, I don't think it was intentional. I, I mean, I mean, so. may, I don't think so. Like, cause, cause I feel like if they were trying to make the game, uh, accessible, like a casual, like, from the perspective of a casual gamer, they're not thinking, well, how do I eat my opponent's inputs? <laughs> yeah, that's like, how do pretty I... advanced. Like, that's pretty advanced. So I don't think that that was uh, an intentional thing. It was something that was discovered, you know, okay. from people who were just, like, breaking down the game. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Blitz Shield that I mentioned earlier, that uh, in, action, in, uh, in Reload and Slash, there are the problems that some characters had pressings that were too strong, mostly, like, characters like Zato, for example. And, uh, and and blockables and and that led to and blockables and things like that. And in accent code, they added a kind of parry that was super hard to use, but at high level it worked, so it was cool. Since they came back to reload to do uh, this game, and reload add this problem, they added a new kind of parry in um, in uh, Ixerd. Uh, it, they called it the blitz, blitz shield, shield, sorry. And uh, the the way it works is that you you activate it, and basically it reflects the opponent. The opponent is like, whoa! He falls back uh, when he yeah. when you when he hits the shield. And the only thing that the opponent can do is um, for not hitting a combo is using a blitz shield himself so you can go in a rock paper scissor of blitz shield like that and uh, it costs uh, i think 25 of your resources and um, after i think it was in sign the, the this thing was not working properly I, I may be wrong but i think in in the first iteration when you had for example kai doing a fireball and coming and it was behind this fireball if you reflect you would reflect the fireball, but not Kai at the same time. So mm-hmm. it was pretty yep. useless in some situations, and they they, they fixed it in the in the next uh, in the the second in Revelator, I think, and they added uh, the possibility to charge the shield, and when you charge the shield, it acts a bit like um, the focus attack in Street Fighter Four. So that's uh, mm-hmm. that's very uh, that's very special because it's but it's very it's very different. The shield really is for situations you can't get out or there that are too complicated or things like that. You, I think it's active on the first frame to reflect, so it's perfect just to say get off me. You know, get off me. It's mm. going yeah. way too fast and it's way too dangerous for me. I can so I I don't play at a very technical level. Like, how is the blitz shield uh, very different from like the previous defense systems, like the burst or? Oh, the the burst is still here. The burst can be can be. The the difference is that the blitz shield can only be done while uh, while you are in neutral or standing up. So okay. that's uh, that's really think about the you know the parry in first strike without yeah. the red parry. Because the red parry, you know, you can do it from uh, from Blockstone. So that's mostly it. It's a uh, it's a kind of one chance parry thing that you can use to get out of tricky situations. But your opponent can also he also knows that you're going to use it, so he can, you know, change his timings or things like that. So it's a new layer, you know, of uh, it's a layer of parry, not parry actually, a classic layer of parry, not parry. With the right timing uh, that yeah. you can find in other games, I suppose. Mm. 
that's it. That's that's really because there are some situations where too, some characters are too strong by design, so they needed a new universal mechanic mm -hmm. to to um, to slow them down a bit. Yeah, it was it was there to uh, negate specific types of offense pressure that I guess they felt a lot of characters didn't have solutions for. Mm -mm. But it's also yeah. a good thing because it's you know it's very visual when you when you keep the button pressed, the, your character like uh, creates a blue shield in front of him and then he attacks like the focus attack, and that's something that's great because it's a uh, advanced mechanic. It's for advanced players, but you can have fun too at low level because if you mm -hmm. hit your opponent with it, if you reflect your opponent, he has to reflect your your incoming attack and thing like that. So like I said, it's a uh, accessible rock paper scissors. So that was a, a good add to the game, I think. Okay. James, I know you are a uh, fighting game expert. Like, uh, you know, what, what are your feelings on the uh, gameplay changes that took place during Exerd? Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people who, you know, I played a lot of, like, Alpha and a lot of, like, just, I guess, SF2 in general. So certain things stick out to me a little bit different than others. Um, I was one of those people that definitely negated people's inputs with uh <laughs> Roman cancel activations uh yeah. because because i was used to utilizing stuff like that like blowback feature and like alpha 2 um <laughs> like these are these are all things that you know made sense to me it was just like oh okay this is fine whereas like within the context of guilty gear it is a bit disruptive um, but given that it was a tool that I actually had access to, I, I definitely use it to my advantage. I do think that the, the some of the changes were, were positive, I think, in the sense that uh, roaming canceling in older Guilty Gear games, like, the execution for it is super, super tight. And I mean, and I'm somebody who has fairly good execution, and, you know, when I needed to, for the most part, I could access the ones that I needed, but it definitely was one of those things where in the back of my head, I was like, wow, this would be really nice if it was like a little bit easier in terms of like, mm -hmm. you know, inputs and latency, like, I guess like the leniency for inputs, like, man, cause it sometimes like there would be days where I would want to play an old guilty gear game. And I'm like, I am not at the right, like energy threshold to play this game properly. <laughs> like I, I need more rest. Like I need two more hours of sleep before, <laughs> I play this game right now. It's so. called getting old. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm the same. So, I'm the same. Yeah. So it was just like when they did make the change and exert, I said, well, I don't mind this because it didn't, it, like when I first saw it, I was like, man, that's hella slow. Like, cause you're so used to how fast like Guilty Gear has been before that. But then it was just like, well, I mean, it helps me. <laughs> so it's like, and and it's like I can still feel like I have young man hands. So <laughs> it's it's like okay, well, and this also helps other players who are not used to yeah. what GG was like before, so they can kind of get into you know how to play. So I mean, to me, it did allow you to assess what was going on um, a little bit easier, but still didn't dumbed down the game enough that I felt like it was like horrible now I mean again like I said I mean I'm used to using activations for things to negate people's inputs and so for me I was like oh okay I'll, I'm gonna take that but I did realize that like 
this is definitely disruptive to the way Guilty Gear works. Um, custom combos in Street Fighter, I mean, you know, to this day, you know, I'll always say that I love Alpha 2 custom combos, although they are very busted and unfair. Um, I do like the idea of, well, if I can do it, so can you. So I think in, in Exert, within the totality of everything, I felt like it still didn't destroy the game. I felt like it was just an element that you needed to be aware of and be willing to accept that, you know, if it happens to you, well, it is what it is, man. There's always another round, you I, know. So I just, <laughs> just got to chime in. Like, Sean, did you know about the whole, like, disrupting the frame inputs like that? I, that's like a level of strategy I wasn't I even aware of. I sure didn't. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a thing I forgot to, to tell you. There's another mechanic, that infamous mechanic called the danger time. Do you remember it? You, when you oh, when when yeah. two characters, you know, they, they, when two characters hit at the same time on the same frame in Guilty Gear, there's a clash. It's like uh, there's lightning between the, yeah. the, the there's hit stop and lightning, and <laughs> because they they probably wanted to mess with us, they they said okay. When a clash occurs, there's a run and chance that you enter danger time. And when danger time happens, so there's the clash, and instead of going back to game, everything's freeze. There's like red lines coming, and it says three, two, one, danger time. <laughs> yeah, like it's, and, it's, it's like and, a TV show. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the slow and the, the the game is slow down just like in a yellow uh, Roman console, but for boss characters. And if you touch your opponent, it says uh, it it's the opponent with a mortal counter. So yeah. it's even bigger than uh, <laughs> than counter rate and things like that. And it's ridiculous because it, it stays, I think, like four or five seconds. So b during <laughs> four or five seconds, you're not, you have people going slow motion, trying to do heavy slashes because oh, it's going yeah. to do a lot of damage. It's ridiculous. Most players hate this mechanic. Most advanced players hate this mechanic because it's random. And uh, But I think it's fun in some aspects because it reminds you that you can't control everything <laughs> and it's i like it's, the game for giving the finger to you you know <laughs> yeah it 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 reminded me of uh oh man i don't know if people remember but uh king of fighters 12 you know oh <gasps> has uh, that 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 quietly cursed game had a mechanic, I believe it was called critical counter. Oh, yeah. And the way <laughs> the way that it worked was, I think you had to clash with a particular button, and if you, it you hit add... correctly, yeah, uh, it would activate something similar to a custom combo, and you could do more damage. But the problem with it was it it was like super random, so it was hard to like predict it exactly. But if you knew when it activated, you could literally like you could win the round. It's, so, it's basically the, the um, it, it's basically the crash counter of Street Fighter V before Street Fighter V because I think it was activated with some heavy moves. Yeah, in counter it. But since there's only uh, in on counter it on uh, lighter moves. So if you crush your opponent with uh he was doing a light you do a heavy attack it will happen i think in some aspect and so yeah. it was basically crush counter before crush counter but it was a bit crush counter with custom combo <laughs> does it also yeah. do more damage because i just i just looked up a video because i've never experienced this danger 
uh, mode myself. I saw one about Potemkin versus Chip. And in danger mode, Potemkin grabs Chip. It does one grab, and it does his entire health bar. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's normal. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's how danger time yeah. works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's that's, that's how danger time works. But uh, it reminded me of uh, how in Japan, I don't know, it was like less than a month after Twelve came out, people were just like, "Yeah, so you know, if you land a critical counter, the the fight's over." Like, like it just literally became that, and it reminded me kind of in that way of just like okay guilty gear is its own game and then all of a sudden if your two normals clash together it's like it could be lights out for you mm. like just instantly and when it would and it would count down i remember people who played it they're like oh shit because you don't know like how <laughs> how it's gonna pan out you know like like if unless the person really knows how to exploit it so it was definitely i looked at it as like a it was like a fun moment in the game but it was also kind of like silly Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh, okay. Well, I'm dead now. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's. Or if it happens in your favor, you're like, oh, well. Thank God for danger time, I guess. Like, it just, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like you, you kind of just like keep it moving. Like you try not to think about it too much because it, it definitely can. Yeah, like it definitely can. Well, it can hurt. It, mm-hmm. it can hurt. Well, danger that, time lasts a... quite a while. Yeah. I just like yeah yeah it's, it's it. very long. That there's a thing of, also they change the they change the the dust. You know when you press dust, it's an overhead attack, and you go flying uh, on the ground on the, in the air. And I I think I don't know if I re- I remember I don't remember if I explained what was impossible dust, but it was a way to negate to to come back on the ground on in the old series. And since it was hard to do, they decided to make it a, a real mechanic in the game. So when you do dust in Guilty Gear Excel and press forward, it will send your opponent to the wall. And uh, I think it was after Revelator or Revelator 2 that they decided to add a new um, a new state. After that, you can be stuck like um, on the on the wall. You get stuck on the wall like you'll splat uh, on it. And uh, it opened new combos and things like that. So it was uh, it was pretty cool. But some combos are really busted <laughs> too. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are just like just disgusting. Mm-mm-mm. So I think that's it for, for gameplay. Basically, it's still Guilty Gear. It's still, you, 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 I come in your face with all I've got. Uh, I cancel my moves and my projectiles so I can continue my offense. I do massive damage. And after that, well, you, you regret it. And that's kind of, some, some, some things, to be honest, some things were modified, like the, the Guard George or things like that. But it's still this, basically the same Guilty Gear inside. So... The, the the real change is the Roman cancel system. Okay. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Were there significant gameplay changes between Sign uh, Revelator and Revelator 2? Um, I think there was, like I said before, the Blitz Shield reflecting both the projectile and the character in Revelator. That was something important. And uh, the dust, ch- um, the, the dust sticking people on the wall was also something that I think started with Revelator, and the Blitz Shield evolved uh, in the in the in the in Revelator because first you only add the the Blitz Shield, so the the parry thing, and I think it's in Revelator that it became the focus attack thing. So uh, so that 
most evolutions, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's all. The, the overall, the the um, it was very conservative. It was very guilty gear, like you knew it, except for Roman consoles and a few details. So, well, that's it. <laughs> okay. James, any any other thoughts about just you know, how to ex- how you expressed yourself in uh, this game versus other games? Uh, I mean, at that time. Uh, <laughs> I felt like Exerg was one of the few games that I could uh, express myself more because we were entering a period uh, in fighting games that was about accessibility. And within mm-hmm. that accessibility, uh, I feel like there were certain implementations put in place that basically didn't allow the same type of uh, exploitation of frame data like, you could still condition your opponent. You could still do these things, but they were at a much slower level. Games had a different type of tempo where, like, I felt like your opponent had more time to collect themselves if they got knocked down. Uh, so it, it it made games a bit slower in a sense where you felt like... it was trying to, it's, like, it's like trying to do a magic trick in slow motion without mm. the person seeing, like, <laughs> how the trick works. So... Exerd made me feel like I still had a chance for like genuine self-expression where I could condition my opponent uh, with a character that maybe is not so good in comparison to like the highest tier uh, just based on what type of illusion I could create uh, offensively. So Exerd was like a safe place for me because by that time, like, I don't know, I just felt like playing other fighting games that were new at the time it just i just felt like i couldn't play the way that i wanted to so exert allowed me to have that nuanced type of self-expression that i longed for from like older games like you know cvs2 or uh like even alpha 2 to some to some extent so it was a good time for me playing it i mean a lot of my friends didn't want to play me in it like, of course, they would sad. not want to play with you. You were eating their inputs. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, you know, but I, I played I played who I could play, and I, I definitely enjoyed it, and it made me feel like, well, at least there's something out that fits the way that I would like to play, and it happens to not be a game that was made in the late 90s, you know, because before that, like, it was just like, hey, do you want to play Third Strike? And I'm like, I guess. You know, and it's just like, you know, it, it Exerd provided an experience for me where I could play other people, and it was it was fun outside of like uh, what, like King, King of Fighters thirteen, because King of Fighters thirteen to me was like an honorary CVS three. So yeah. Yeah. you know, like that that game Way that game kept me happy. Game. Yeah, yeah, highly underrated. But anyways, let's. I don't want to you know get off too too off topic here. But uh, but yeah, I mean that's pretty much how I felt about Exerd. It was another place for self-expression in a very beautiful game that more people should have been playing. How, how did Exerd do in uh, comparison to the other Guilty Gears and oh. contemporary fighting games? Was it a, oh. a success? That's the moment when I go to my Excel file name, the Fighting Game Cells. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> that I have with, with, uh, with uh, numbers that you will not find on the internet because yes. I was not supposed to... Some of them are not public, but overall, uh, not not very good. Actually, I don't think Xrd 
overall was a very big success. We, we I don't remember, I don't have all the um, the, the, the sales of the game, but for the first, uh, first episode that came out on PS3 and PS4, in 2014, I found the line in Japan. It sold the first week only 40k hmm. episodes, uh, boxes. And if you compare it, for example, to Reload, who is one of the most famous episodes, uh, in two, so 10 years earlier, it sold almost 100k. Oh, wow. So half so the sales. It's more than half the sales. It's almost like a third. Yeah. 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 And if you take even like episodes, like uh, other episodes, Guilty Gear X, for example, in just in Japan on Dreamcast only, it sold 131k just on, Dream, on Dreamcast for the wow. X. Wow. So yeah, even and even and even Izuka even Izuka sold more in Japan like it sold oh a 70, 74k <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh wow that so, really puts it in perspective yeah yeah so that's you you you're starting to realize that yeah it's not very good I don't have unfortunately I don't have uh, Blast Blue uh, numbers here to compare but yeah that's not very very good to be honest and i don't remember the the, the i don't have the numbers for Riverator and Riverator 2 but yeah it's not something it didn't work that well after but after that you have to consider that the fact that it's an arcade game mm-hmm. and since it's an arcade game uh, we explained in the last episode how arc system works took um, a piece of the the credit for each game and uh, so it's a source of revenue too and exod uh, was at evo for 3 years I think, three or four mm-hmm. years. And it was a huge success with the famous Washige No, the guy that thought he, would, he was winning and the, the match oh, was over man. and he stopped playing to, uh, yes. yeah. to, to feel himself <laughs> and the game was, the, the game was not finished, the famous. And the guy, became, the guy was actually the battle planner for Street Fighter V. Oh. You didn't know that? That Washige was is actually the guy that made the battle system that, that worked on the yeah. battle system on uh, Street Fighter V, and he's the same guy that forgot to finish his match <laughs> against yep. Ogawa, the famous yep. uh, Eddie player. So yeah, Exert yeah. no, was not a big success, and that's partly also because uh, Blast Blue was still there and rocking, and um, I don't know. Maybe the, to, to be honest, most fighting games at this period post SF4, there was n- they were not selling a lot. For example, the the in for the period 2008 2014, I think the most sold fighting games was uh, Final Fantasy DCDR on the PSP, and the second most sold game was JoJo's the the JoJo by CyberConnect, the JoJo fighting game. Oh wow, in Japan, the, yeah. Which in is, yeah, of course, the immediate audience for this game. Yeah. yeah, I think this game in the first week did like 400Ks or 450Ks on the first week only in Japan. And the third most sold games, sold games was Dissidia 2. <laughs> so yeah, that yeah. says a lot. Yeah. 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 Uh, are, you, are you talking about uh, All-Star, All-Star Battle, not Eyes of Heaven, right? Uh, JoJo's All-Star Battle. Yeah, the PS3 game, fighting game. <sighs> Man, yeah, that not... game was... The game was beautiful. Yes, um, it, was. It, it pre-patch, like it was, it was a really good game. Yeah, and then weird. I, I think they were scared because they didn't realize 
how to deal with when people break down a fighting game. Yeah. Like to that level that people were doing it because I mean, I was I was finding stuff that was amazing with Jotaro and I was having so much fun with it and I think that they were worried about people who don't play fighting games that were big fans of JoJo uh running into people who were like just breaking the game in the most positive way possible because uh, there was some stuff in there that was just disgusting, but it was so fun to do, <laughs> and it was really fun. And then it was like once that patch came out, like everybody had the same combos. Like it just kind of, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was a shame. It was fun while it lasted, though. <laughs> yeah. It was really good. Just to I wonder. Okay. Oh, oh no, no, go ahead. I was say I was just gonna mention that I wonder if it eventually came out in the wash, like in terms of them making strive, because like the game's been out for. A long time and like the distribution models got a little better like you know uh playstation playstation 4 picked up i think revelator was better received than sign like it got generally really good reviews across the board like i wonder if what we're talking about is just that it kind of was like came out at the wrong place wrong time to some degree and it might have taken a long time to get its footing um mm -hmm. well i i think part of it is that um uh, past games, you know, uh, uh, consoles were bigger business in Japan in past generations. Yeah. Like, uh, you mentioned Dissidia. The PSP was a monstrous hit in Japan mm -hmm. and throughout Asia. Like, it, you know, it, it's, it wasn't really a big deal in the West, but um, it was, like, on par with, like, you know, a, a Game Boy, basically, in, in Asia. Like, everyone had a PSP uh, years and years ago. Um, mm -hmm. e even in China, like, everyone was playing... Monster Hunter on the on the subways in 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 Shanghai when I was there in like 2005, like uh, super mainstream system. Um, so but just to give some perspective, Blast Blue, the first Blast Blue, uh, so it's Calamity Trigger. When it came out in 2009, it made the same numbers as Guilty Gear Xrd, but it was a new a new series, so that's as expected. But mm -hmm. it didn't do much after that. It was always like 30K's uh, games mm. or okay. even after that, it was even less. So it was already the end for the, the console consumer market, a massive console cons consumer market yeah, yeah. and fighting games at this time. So that's not surprising. Mm. Okay. You know, it's crazy. Like, it's such a beautiful game and mm. it was critically acclaimed and... You know, if you talk about it online, everyone's like, oh, it's beautiful. And like, oh, could they make the next Street Fighter and stuff? But it oh, did not necessarily yeah. translate into more sales. Well, it's still mm. an anime game. You know, it's uh, they, 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 made, they made by Revelator and Revelator 2. They made a lot of things as a product. Guilty Gear Xrd, when you buy it right now, if you manage to buy it, you, you first have to know what you need to buy first. Because if you buy, for example, Revelator oh, or Revelator right. 2, yes. you have to buy extra characters, but which ones? You know, yeah. and if you go to the Steam page of Guilty Gear XL right now, you have no idea what you have yeah. to buy. Yeah. The only way I could buy the, this game without making a, a wrong decision was to buy a pack that people guaranteed me that it was what I needed to play it, you know. So there's that, mm -hmm. and uh, also they, 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 they cut the, the it, sign was not compatible with the uh, Revelator, so the community was split online. And after that, they made the effort of having compatibility of putting all Rev players to Rev 2 via, through an update. And uh, I think that's it, but I don't know. It's still, you know, an anime game. It's an eccentric 
anime game, you know. Um, I know I'm not sure the aesthetics of. I think the aesthetics were maybe too bold at the time, or maybe this this you know style this uh, this thing was not uh, was already out of. Um, I don't know. It was not that popular when it already when it came out. I don't know. It's it's complicated. Oh, yeah. Thomas, you're totally totally right. I just looked at the, the Steam page. It's got like nine bundles, and then it's got like 13 pieces of DLC. <laughs> like, yeah. how do you make heads or tails out of this? Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I, I think that's got to be a big part of it. Just the yeah, like if you don't you know, even it's... know which one to buy, that's that's gonna really dampen. Your this game is complicated on the Steam page already. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we talked about how Arc System Works has never been quite very good at selling their game. <laughs> yeah, they're not very good at it. They're not very yeah. good at it. Okay. I don't know. But, um, okay, so this is something we touched on last time. So the game itself wasn't a huge financial success, but it paved the way for um, just the rebirth of uh, Arc System Works in this new era. Like, it actually did lead to a lot of success down the road, right? Can you want to talk about that a bit, Thomas? Yeah, well, after that, you know, when everyone saw the trailer, everyone was like, why nobody is making the same as them? And uh, yeah. the reason, as we explained, is that because they are like craftsmen, it's craftsmanship and uh, yeah. artist, uh, artist driven. Yeah. And so after that, they were approached to do other games. And among them, with two major series, since they did Dragon Ball Z. And Sean is saying, I'm exhausted just looking at this DLC list. <laughs> <laughs> so they did Dragon Ball Z, and Dragon Ball Z was a huge success. Before that, they did, they, they continued doing other fighting games. They made the, the Dragon Ball uh, Butoden, I think it That's was, right. for the yeah, 3DS. They had, made, they had so, made Dragon Ball games before several of them, yeah. And, and this one was the first collaboration they did with the, the producer of Dragon Ball games, one of the producers of Dragon Ball game at Bandai Namco, which is uh, Hiroki, mm -hmm. uh, one of the rare female uh, producers in the Japanese video game industry. Mm -hmm. And so they already worked together. And I suppose that when they saw Xrd, everybody that has an anime license was like, okay, I need a game with this. <laughs> either we either we you know recruit them either our team needs to learn how to do it and that's very complicated because you have you know i, I don't want to be you know hard on uh, schools or video game schools or art schools or things like that but you are you are educated to be you know productive and productive in a way that the industry needs you to be and art system works doesn't work like that they, they, they are doing the, the these things in their own way what you explain uh, about the the technical aspects of fixer it's not something you can reproduce because you don't learn it at school you can't it's like starting photography and uh, having a super expensive you know uh, camera and uh, knowing how to adjust it but having no idea what to shoot, <laughs> no visual education, yeah. you know, yeah. you, you can yeah. do amazing yeah. photos just with a box of cereals, you know, and yeah. uh, with just a stenope, if you have the ID and the education. And I think that's what lacking to other, to other um, companies, because Bandai Namco, they continued doing other games, uh, Dragon Ball games. They did, you know, um, 
uh, Jump Force, for example, which also use some kind of cell shading, but is it's super ugly. And so when they did Fighter Z, Arc System Works for Bandai, it was supposed to be a small project. You know, the kind of game if we we sell a million and a half, we're happy. That's a huge that's a huge thing and all. I think it's it's now like four or five million <laughs> copies sold at this day, and uh, yeah, the I mean they sold two million copies in like the first week or something, right? I mean it was uh, insane. It was insane, but the, the the I don't. Do you remember the, when the game was revealed? It was revealed at the E3 Xbox press conference, so that was unexpected. And after that, everyone rushed the small booth for the game because it was not supposed to be, you know, that big of a thing. And the, I remember there's a photo of Hiroki that's like doing the hello sign. And behind there, there's like the, the two consoles boot with stickers like uh, editor's choice, uh, game of the <laughs> game of E3 and all. And it's covered. You, can even, you can't even see the, the booth anymore. There's so many stickers. And it was not supposed to happen this way. <laughs> it was supposed to be a small game. You do the next one and blah, blah, blah. And uh, but it allowed Arc System Works to shine even more because once they did this, they they were contacted by another company that we don't know a lot of in the in the West, which is Psy Games that does the um, the Ground Blue Fantasy Gacha RPG game, yeah. which is basically uh, I'm stealing all um, artists from uh, the Final Fantasy Golden Era and uh, putting them into waifus in my games, and you have to pay to access them. And uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> it's very reductive, but there's a lot of good heart in that. But that's basically it. And they did they ordered two games, one to Platinum Games, and one to Arc System Works. So they have Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. So a second game made for a client. And it's I think it's my it's just a guess, but I think Dragon Ball Fighters actually made a lot of created a lot of management problem in, at Arc System Works because, you know, they made uh, a first uh, season pass with, uh, the, with six characters and it was planned before the game came out, you know. Mm. But it was such a huge success and they had other games to do that they had to push back and hire a lot of people and, uh, and uh, teach a lot of new hires how to do uh, characters and 3D, the Arc System Works way. And uh, when they had to do a second season pass for Dragon Ball, that was probably not planned at all when they first started the project. And now with uh, Psy Games doing Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, it's also a huge, huge success. I think they sold like, only counting Asia, they sold something like almost half a million games already and uh, in six months. So for a fighting game, it's huge. And Dragon Ball Fighters now has his third season pass and a pro tour and things like that. So nothing went as planned for the better for Axis <laughs> Because before, at the time when they started uh, XR, there were a company of around 100 people. And now they are a company of more than 200 people. And uh, they, they celebrated their, third, their 13, 30 anniversary. Yes, I don't know in English. Sorry about that. And uh, so everything is good for them, I suppose. And now they work on uh, Guilty Gear Strive. Yeah. 
And that was long, sorry. <laughs> I, I think uh, Grand Blue Fantasy Versus has uh, commanded the number one spot in Japan for a while. I don't know if it still yeah. is, but when it, for, for the early part of 2020, it definitely was. Oh, yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't realize like how big of a deal these mobile games are in, in Japan. Um, because there, there was that whole period during the uh, PS3, 360 era where yeah, in the West, people are like, oh, Japanese games are dead. They're not... You know, they're just not yeah. on top anymore. They were actually just all transitioning to mobile. Um, I think there was actually a year there where the Japanese gaming industry for mobile, their revenue, uh, not per capita, but just total revenue actually exceeded America. I think around like 2013 or so. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> but it's it, <laughs> fraction of the population, way more spending. So like these games make billions. Like they're they're mm. humongous games. So, um, you know, Grand Blue is actually a big deal outside of America. It's a very well-known property. Mm -hmm. That's that's something right. You just what what you just said because 2012 was around that time that SNK, for example, stopped making console games to focus only on mobile games and yep. uh, and and uh, what was the and uh, the other the other things with the balls? I don't remember the gambling game with Pachinko. the <laughs> And uh, oh, they man. only came back because they could not do pachinko anymore. <laughs> it was too risky. But yeah, mm -hmm. there was that. There was this uh, this huge efforts made by Capcom to finally get, you know, a huge success in uh, mobile games, and they never managed to to make it. Even not even today. That's also the period where Konami stopped everything yep. and decided to switch to mobile too. So there's a that was that was a complicated period for for the, the game industry, and yeah. that's the reason why the the some games like the the Arxitomo games were not selling that much actually. Yeah, that that was a painful time if you liked <laughs> the older yeah. developers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, there was there was this story. Have you seen the story of Okamoto, uh, Richmond? Uh, no, I'm, I'm actually. The, uh, what is what is it? What do you mean, like the the um, you know Okamoto, the one of the co-creators of uh, Street Fighter. Street II. Fighter, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yoshiki, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And what it was he, he he made his own uh, studio during the PS3 and 360 era, and one of their games was Majin and Majin of the Four Second Giant. Yeah. Yeah, and the game crashed so badly that they um, that they had to uh, close uh, the the company, mm -hmm. and there was you there were huge rumors at this time that he was so in debt that uh, he was hiding to uh, escape the banks that he owned money to. <laughs> oh my God! Like wow. for example, there was uh, I I, should, I need to find the the, the things the, the articles and things like that. But at the time, I was like, Oh my God! Okamoto, the creator of Street Fighter Two, is hiding from banks. Yeah. Just and he he he, he resurfaced when he was hired by a, a, a company making mobile games, and I think his game was. Um, Puzzle and Dragons or something with dragons. I don't remember which oh, one. No, no, Monster Strike. Monster Strike. Yeah, yes. that was that. And so at the time, I remember there was a, an interview of him. And I was like, so what happened the past three years? They're like, I can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, j just to, a testament to how good that guy is as a game developer. I mean, he, he co one of the co-developed main you know directors on Street Fighter 2, right? That was the first video game to exceed like a billion in revenue. Yeah. 
and then um, Monster Strike is the highest grossing video game of all time. <laughs> now, usually? Uh, mobile game, mobile game. Oh, yeah. It, wow. it uh, has made $7.2 billion. <laughs> That's an unimaginable an, amount of money. <laughs> this is also an important time to reference why sometimes North America is not the most important market at all. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah, for yeah. Worldwide gaming, because it didn't do that well in North America at all. Oh, oh yeah. I'm sorry, I got the number wrong. It was $8.12 billion, actually. Sorry. Even What's more. What's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> unimaginable like a human being can't grasp like that, that scale <laughs> but yeah so to, to come back to guilty gear now yeah. i think arc system works is in a unique position because there are no the the dimps of fighting games you know yeah of the all the 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 oh what's this game with the we talk the the, the studio that made jojo all-star battle uh cyber connect yeah they're like a cyber connect or dimps studio right now it means that they are working more for clients work with huge licensing than their own uh, games and uh, right now they only have like one game in that's not clients work in active development and that's guilty gear strive but yeah. other than that they all they just did like blast blue cross tag battle which was a uh, cvs2 uh, of marvel 2 and yes of, of the company and that's all. They, are, they, they, they also became, at, during that time, uh, a publisher for other fighting games. They published Skullgirls in uh, Japan. Uh, they also uh, published other games, like which ones? Uh, River City Girls, actually. Yeah, River, River City, City Girls. Girls yeah. Yeah. Like that. So they, they became a, a kind of, you know, the, the uh, Under Night in Bird also for French brand. Oh, uh, yes. yes. And, uh, that's so a great they, game, by the way. Yeah, it's that's an amazing, amazing game. That's yeah. the, the, the true successor of Guilty Gear. Uh, yes. 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 Ooh. Didn't, didn't Did they publish, <laughs> <laughs> publish yes. Melty Blood as well? Uh, I think they republished it on uh, Steam, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. They also came to PC on, on this period. Uh, they republished all their games on, on PC. So they were, they were quite... Uh, they, they had a lot of projects, but right now... It, Looks, they are more like a, a client's work studio than their own. Even if they are trying again, we strive to uh, you know get higher on uh, in graphics and in presentation and things like that. that that's one on one of their things. And uh, they 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 basically said that uh, when they did Exerd, they wanted to reproduce the wow effect of the of Guilty Gear X. You know, yes. the HD sprites. They wanted yeah. the, the same thing. And with Strive, they are doing exactly the same thing they did mm -hmm. with Xrd, that they did with BlazBlue, that they did with X, that they did with the first Guilty Gear. So the loop is uh, still here, still continuing. Yeah. They still have that that mm -hmm. lightning in a bottle. It's it's amazing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Strive is amazing. We, we, we will... We'll save that for the next one. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, that is interesting that they're back to being sort of like uh, making all these um, licensed games, but I think that's sort of that's sort of the cycle of uh, Arc System Works, right? 
Right, like they started off making licensed games. Um, they, heck, they made that Sailor Moon fighting game, right, for the Super Nintendo way back. They did. Way, which way is back. Apparently, super broken, and that's why yeah, people love it. It is. It, it is, is a wonderfully <laughs> broken game. <laughs> oh, man. We can talk. The, the, yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say James seems to want to talk about it, so that means he brutalized people on this game before, <laughs> so it means he likes it. <laughs> It was it, it it if 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 you came to a gunfight with a gun, you were okay. That's that's, that's the You're kind of game. If, if you came to the Sailor Moon game with a gun, then, then you'll be okay. You were you were okay. <laughs> you had to know exactly what you needed to do because, yeah, it, it it's it's an it's like an accidentally successful game in a very niche niche competitive way yeah. uh yeah there's some oh man <laughs> there's some, there's some problems with that game but again <laughs> like if you understand it it's like you see the game underneath and then you can <laughs> like play within the confines of that because yeah. there's things that you take for granted um when you play an actual fighting game that is is made for humans and <laughs> <laughs> when you when you play Sailor Moon, you're like, oh, I appreciate hit stun. I appreciate block stun actually working correctly, because when those things are not in place, you you have a hell of a game that. Wait 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 is... wait, 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 wait 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 wait. There's no hit stun. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually played it. I, I've heard stories of like how insane it is. Oh. <laughs> It is game is it's not fit for all humans. I, <laughs> it's 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 a very specific type of game where if you understand like okay, there's no hit stun or block stun in this particular situation that I can take advantage of. I, I need to hurry up and do it. And that's kind of the thrill of the game. It's like I need to hurry up and do the broken shit to you before you do it to me. Yeah. Buzzy. Like that's kind of the you know those old TV shows where they had like the squeak stakes run and they would like to have people racing around with shopping carts, filling up their carts with like as much <laughs> yeah. food yeah, as possible. Street. Yeah, it's like a gold rush to the busted. Like you <laughs> needed to like haul ass and do it so you could do the thing, and then the well, fight's well, over. So on a, on a scale of one to Killer Instinct, how busted is it exactly? Like, uh, what's oh, the? Oh nah, Killer Instinct is a gentleman's game compared <laughs> to Sailor Moon. Like. Like you sit around and eat cups of Vianetta playing Killer Instinct. Like that's <laughs> nah, bro. Like Sailor Moon's on a whole that's a whole other level of brokenness. Mm. Like yeah. you know, people people sit down and they have the salad fork and then they have the regular fork when they play Killer Instinct. Like Sailor Moon is a Sailor Moon is yeah, man, just a whole other level of brokenness. If that if you want to talk about a wild west of a fighting game. <laughs> Like <laughs> Sailor Moon is that. I'll I'll link you guys some stuff later so you can okay. the, see the for yourself. Was, the game had a, an official tournament at Evo, and uh, yes. so you can you can find some finals. You play you made Evo Sailor Moon finals. You'll see uh, some broken things happening. Very broken things. Okay, very so very broken. Evo Sailor Moon S. Yes. Okay. Sailor Moon S. I'm gonna take a look at that while we talk. It is, ooh, oh, it is, it is some fun stuff, man. This was their first fighting game, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. I think yeah. it was their first fighting game. 
Yeah, but yeah, Sailor Moon S is not suitable for most humans to digest. <laughs> it is not like you need a. Is the ghost pepper of? It's like the Carolina <laughs> Carolina Reaper of fighting games. Like you, you may not be able to digest this, and it's okay if you can't. Okay, if we can't. Like, it's... Oh yeah, I I just remember I was wasn't sure, but it's Sailor Uranus who is completely broken in this. Yes, game. yeah, my homegirl. Zooms across the screen. Yeah, 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 that that was my that was my main chicken. Why 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 am I not surprised that you play Sailor Uranus in this game? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I like Sailor Uranus. Period. Because to yeah. me, she yeah, was like yeah. she was like the King of Fighters character of Sailor Moon characters. <laughs> Like I thought she was cool anyway, but when I realized how rude she was, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's that, that's who I need to play." <laughs> like, like it was no question, you know. But again, I mean, it's 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 definitely a game that they learned from for sure. Like, you know, what to do moving forward, obviously. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, but I, it just <laughs> what, what I was trying to say was, so they always had this desire to make fighting games, you know, and then they <laughs> they finally had like a hit with Guilty Gear. Right, and then um, going back to this, it's a pattern, right? Like they, when they had Guilty Gear, when they had a hit with Guilty Gear X, they were asked to make like the um, the the Basara games for Capcom, right? And they 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 got to make the Hokuto no Ken uh, fighting yes. Sega, right? And then um, on on Portable, uh, they made like what the uh, Hypersonic uh, Supersonic Warriors, like Dragon Ball. Um, yeah, so they've they've. They've always been doing these sort of like genre-defining, genre uh, uh, presentation-wise, uh, uh, fighting games each each generation, and then you know they they get some more work out of that. I think that's what keeps them going from Guilty Gear to Guilty Gear. Yeah, just now they they can they kind of do more you know high-end and triple A clients' work. Mm. Well, instead of just you know. Smaller arcade game or eShop games or portable games, things like that, you know. So they kind of um, stepped up uh, on in that regard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Oh my god, I'm hypnotized by this Sailor Moon finals I'm watching while talking. It's, it's, it's a mess. This game is it's insane. Mess. I, I didn't, it's the, I didn't think Super Nintendo fighting games could be this fast because uh, typically they're a little slower, right? Even. They couldn't even yeah. get Alpha 2 to work on a Super Nintendo. It was really sluggish. Yeah, it was super, super sluggish. No, but that, that's not fighting games on Super Nintendo. That's just Sailor Uranus in this game. Don't make asty conclusions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, James, I guess she's totally your type, Sailor Uranus. Like, uh, I mean, visually, she's got that Cynthia Rothrock kind of look. Yeah, right? like, it, there's there's multiple reasons why like Sailor Uranus was, was... But then she's yeah. like so aggressive. It, it, yeah, it, so it's like perfect for me. This character is like... I haven't I haven't seen the first season yet. I'm just I'm just discovering. I started watching Sailor Moon like this year. Oh nice. <laughs> oh okay. I've never okay. seen it. I saw the season 1 and the ending was so dramatic. I was shocked. And after yeah. that just uh the the ending of season 1 and after that I had watched the season 2 and I ate Chibiusa <laughs> so much. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, like I mean, I know somebody out there likes, you know, Chibi, but you know what I mean, like if she if she if she needs to leave, it's cool. You know what I mean? Like you ain't gotta be here. <laughs> but uh but nah, Ur Uranus is my homie though. Like <laughs> world shaking. I'm team world shaking all day, every day. 
But uh, it's a weird thing. Yeah. They made a beat em up Sailor Moon game as well. Yeah. Yes, oh, they yeah. did. <laughs> and it was also super awesome that yeah. I had. Yes. Yes. I should, I, should, I should acquire that again because that was actually. That was a fun. I, I, I knew about the 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 one where they're they're smaller like they're smaller proportion characters they made. I didn't realize they made a fighting game as well. And that's, <laughs> yeah, that's... yes they did. Wow. Yes they did, man. She's like permanently set to like alpha custom combo mode. She's basically <laughs> yeah. She's in she's in alpha two custom combo mode. Yeah. the whole fight. I mean, that is that is my jam. Like she's. Yeah. No Jeez. surprise, you like the character. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> a CVS2 player enjoying uh, Uranus in Sailor Moon. Wow. And she, and she has a drop. I know, right? Uh, and she has the Izuna drop too. So you, that's, like, that's like all your kinks. I know all your fighting game characters. I know, right? Kinks out there, you know. She has the... the, 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 the ninja throw. <laughs> She's, she has the... She has everything the that I need. Mode. She's aggressive. She's in your face. That's the perfect character for you. Yeah. It's right? just like someone was like, oh, you like Street Fighter Alpha 1 guy? Oh, we got a character for you. You like custom combos? <laughs> you like <constantly laughs> putting people in block stun? Here you go. This is, this is for you. Like, that is, that is my, that is my character, man. Um, I see but Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but nah, it's it's. But again, I mean, it just it goes goes to show. I mean, obviously they 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 started with licensed games, and you know they learned a lot, and now we have this wonderful history of beautiful games that are actually playable by all humans. Um, <laughs> and. <laughs> It's you know it's 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 a, it's a wonderful thing, but it's good that we we don't forget where they came from. Uh, just real real quick though, that Sailor Moon game was 1994, and that Alpha was actually 2. before Alpha Alpha Two was... came out 96, 97. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, you man. actually see the 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 uh, inklings of gu Guilty Gear in that. Like, that. That's like before like the Marvel versus games and stuff too, right? No, it's, uh, a, it's the same year. Or is it same, same year? year. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think X Men vs Street Fighter came out around that time. Well, no. Uh, Children of the Atom came out. Oh, Children in, of the Atom. Yeah. Children of the Atom. Uh, Nineteen ninety-four and the first Dragon. Vampire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Okay. So that that's the true beginnings, yeah, man. Yeah, that we ninety-four. Already... Ninety-four. That was when fighting games suddenly like got really aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they did. It's it fantastic. Watching, uh, Sell Uranus against Sell Uranus is a mesmerizing fight. The best. <laughs> the best. It is. It is the best. It is a test for your eyeballs and your brain. <laughs> like the best sensory experience you could possibly have. It's. 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 Uh. I mean. I. I think. Don't, don't listen to this man. Don't listen to this. Man. <laughs> He's trying to, to get us in, in this uh, strange <laughs> land of uh, brokenness. We, we, we have values here, sir. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's cool, man. Alpha One guy's not broken, man. He's very fair. He's very fair. He's a very fair gentleman. Yeah. Um, he, he doesn't dizzy you in one combo or anything. He not dizzy you again. He's, he's fine. But, uh, but no, nah, I mean, yeah, man. Sailor Moon uh, S is a... 
it's an interesting game, uh, and there's a lot here that I think if 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 you're looking into making a game, like you can kind of understand the progression of what you know you will be tempted to have. But you know, it's like if you want a game that actually makes more sense for like you know people to play, like there's things, there's lessons that that are learned from it, and it's got ex- very blatant examples of like what you don't want to be in a contemporary fighting game. Uh, just for the sake of like, you know, making something that's uh, a bit more accessible. Because I mean, yeah, there's a niche environment that this game fits in very perfectly. But if you're talking about a fighting game with a person that maybe is not really affluent in fighting games or like new to it, and they touch this, it's like you can't, you can't make a game like this now. Like it's <laughs> just not. I mean, they didn't even intend to make the game exactly like this. You know, like these are all things that they probably learned from too. So. No, that's it's a good game. Play it. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, play it. I, um, yeah, play it. I wanted to say, oh, go ahead. I just wanted to add for everybody. We mentioned the GDC talk, but really the the the, the craft and the technical marvel. Uh, even not even playing the scene, just watching it and stuff. Like, definitely recommend everybody uh, watch that talk and, and appreciate the level of level of craft that is on display in this game. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I think it's it's a testament to them that um, that game came out uh, year, years and years ago now. Everyone is wowed by the look of it, and yet they're they're pretty much the only studio like pulling off this look. You know, like that's why they keep getting this work. Like, it's just they got that secret sauce that like other people just can't quite get the same results. Well, and they they extensively explained how they did it too. It's not like yeah, they, it's yeah. a secret. <laughs> No, no, it's not. That's the thing. Yeah, they actually yeah, explained right, right. it. Yeah, yeah, GDC talk is extremely technical. Like they did not Very like yeah. brush over it. Yeah, yeah. No, the re- the real problem is a uh, is a uh, how you make games overall in the industry is not yes. the way they do it. So basically, you have to change all the way, even in the management perspective. Like, where do you start? You know? Yeah. <laughs> What's the that's the vertical slice, things like that. So yeah. that's that's complicated. Yeah. Yeah, like I'd say, technique-wise, uh, my my team at work, we've we've watched that talk a lot. We are actually implementing. We we learned a lot from that. Um, we, we're making a you know a cell shaded game right now, and we we're uh, implementing a lot of the learnings. Um, but I would say Arc System Works. Their their secret sauce is in that that management, <laughs> like, and they're just the unique vision that they have. Um, I, I would say. That's one of the hardest things to really have in any project, g- games or anything else, is to have like a really coherent vision that everybody, uh, you know, is all in on. And they definitely have that. I, I think that's why their games are so uh, very distinct. This is true. This is very true. Mm-hmm. Yep. Play it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please yeah, play, play it, it, folks. Or, okay. Yeah, um, if you can well, find well, the the good game on which, the Steam page, <laughs> which okay, let's say someone's listening right now and they want to play it on Steam. Like, which one do they buy? Because it's it's really confusing. I have no idea. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I have honestly no idea. I bought mine. So, sometimes the 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 seat named Fanatical that say that so, sells uh, game keys. You know, they they they, they often sell uh, a bundle like Guilty Gear Third Complete. And uh, that's how I <laughs> I bought it. <laughs> so outside that, I have no idea how you're supposed to buy it. I mean, Steam does have the the complete bundles right now, but 
Uh, I don't know. For me, when I redownloaded it, I just did it on PlayStation. That that made it easier. They only offer uh, the full XR uh, Rev 2 that you can purchase. But yeah, for yep. Steam, it's much more complicated. I mean, you can yep. probably get the general experience just by buying the uh, like the deluxe edition of Revelator or something. But if you really want like all the characters and all the DLC, then you just grab the uh, the complete, the standard complete or the deluxe yeah. complete. They do the deluxe stuff mostly just comes with soundtracks and everything like and voice backs. Like if you just want gameplay, just the standard complete. Okay. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah, that should work. Yeah. Okay, so basically, you need the kind of upgrade, I think, but it doesn't include the DLC characters from Revelator, but you need Revelator. I'm, I'm confused. I'm super confused. Shouldn't that all be in the uh, complete standard? Yeah, the, 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 the complete standard bundle is both games together. Yeah. Okay. That's why it's a nice. bundle. Yeah. Okay. Buy it. It is very confusing, though. <laughs> Steam page is an absolute disaster. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But if, if, if you're on PlayStation or Xbox, it's pretty straightforward. Um, yeah. yeah, and you know, the game didn't actually do that well. So you, you'll be supporting an uh, underloved game. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. All right. I think this is a good stopping point. I, I think it's also a good call. We Before the podcast, we were thinking like, oh, maybe we can get into Strive, you know? Yeah, uh, we should. <laughs> let's start. Uh, so, Strive. I played yes. it. <laughs> I didn't enjoy yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Stop it, stop it. Yeah, I must stop. leave, I must leave. Yeah. All right, um, so I, I believe that will be our final. Tune in uh, next week for our, our final <laughs> entry into this, what ended up being an epic, epic dive into not only Guilty Gear, but the history of Arc System Works. Um, tune in next week for the thrilling, <laughs> thrilling <Holy> conclusion. conclusion. <laughs> this uh, six-part saga. <laughs> It, it, this has become 50% of all the podcasts we've ever done. In the next episode, we will discover another broken game that James loves. <laughs> Which true. one? It'll, it'll, it'll probably be like World Heroes or something. I don't know. Stop! Oh. <laughs> Any game oh, where someone man. throws themselves as their own projectile is, is pretty awesome. <laughs> Now that I think about it, I think every character I play throws themselves the opponent. <laughs> like Guy, when he does his Bushin flip, he, he flips his whole body at you. Uh, I mean, Kill just punches you to death. Uh, and yeah, I think every character that I... In Dudley, I mean, he's just running in like a train. Like, and Ken, I mean, Ken will hit you with his fucking ear if he can in Third Strike, so... And it's... You know, that's just my jam, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Thanks. thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for, for joining in. So, folks, thank you for uh, tuning in. Uh, it's been a particularly rough week all over the world, so we appreciate you, uh, you know, taking your time uh, to listen to this podcast, spend some time with us. Hopefully, uh, you, you had a good good time here uh i always it's always a pleasure uh to talk with you guys so th thank you sean for always uh being there and also doing all the hard work of like editing and putting the podcast together this this podcast would not happen without sean borski and um thank you to our guests james stanley and uh thomas uh, absolutely yeah it's, it's a real pleasure having you guys and uh, for everyone listening um 
Let's see. Uh, so this is podcast number 14? Is 15. It? 15. My God. My goodness. 15. Um, yeah. So uh, thank you for listening. Uh, like I said at the beginning, uh, there's <laughs> several other podcasts uh, just on Guilty Gear and, and many more on just video games in general. Um, if you would like to follow along, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Art Eater Podcast. Um, and then, all uh, you know, you, you should be able to find this podcast on all the typical platforms. We're on Apple, Stitcher. Uh, what's that streaming service that everyone's on now? Um, Spotify, maybe? Yeah, Spotify. Spotify. <laughs> I'm so behind with technology, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I, I still like listen to CDs once in a while. <laughs> um, anyways. Uh, you know, find us wherever you find podcasts. Um, if we're not on there, let us know. Shoot us a message on uh, Twitter. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, everybody stay safe out there. And please tune in next week while we uh, close out this this epic, epic series on Earth Gear. Okay. Later. Oof. All right. Ciao.